Hey, this is Louis LaRosa, artist of Savage for Valiant, and you are listening to 11 O'Clock Comics. <laughs> Make an account, as usual. Okay. Yeah. This Great. is a fun night, man. I think we got some plans for tonight. This is weird because it's Monday, and normally we might we try to when we try to do the two, we come up with a theme or something to just chat about to 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 give the listeners something extra. And tonight we do have something extra. Look at you playing the game, not so let not letting them know that you're from the future. <laughs> Looking at the past. Right? Oh, man, I'm not, I'm not that big. Oh, but you are from the future. You're chef of the future looking at what already happened. Can it core apple? <laughs> it can core apple. And it's also good for spearfishing. I think, I think you're going to date yourself a couple of times in this episode. That's yeah, I can't yeah. believe Jason didn't know Colossus the Forbin Project. Never it's heard of it. Friggin' awesome movie. Okay. I need to edge, be educated. The lead went on to do a long-running soap. I don't know which. He was Victor on a long-running soap opera. Oh, probably Days of Our Lives. Victor Kariakis. E- e- Jennifer Aniston's dad. Uh, no. Not that no. Victor? No. His name was Victor in the in the show. That's, what, he, she's, that's what he's saying. Victor Kariakis was the name of the character. Yeah, Days of Our Lives, played by John Aniston. Right. Yeah. Oh, I don't know what you're talking about. But anyway, yeah. What's the name of the movie? So then you're telling me that the actor wasn't John Aniston. Colossus, colon, the, no, it was the Forbin Project. F-O-R-B-I-N, Colonel Forbin. You've never heard about it. It's good. I have not, no. It's really good. It's, uh, was, are we talking about Dr. Charles Forbin? Vince? That's what I said, Dr. Forbin. Well, you just well, there's. Oh, dude, oh, relax. The name. <laughs> You're so Jesus. fucking dismissive, dude. Relax. <laughs> Eric Colossus Braden. Eric Braden was the actor's name. There you go. But he went on to and fame and the young and the restless. Yes, oh, okay. fame and fortune as Victor. As Victor the, Newman. There you go. Still, still a Victor. Okay. Every time, Victor. every oh, time yeah. he entered a scene, they would say hello. I actually Newman. think Victor Newman is equally famous. I just think it's like if you were a young and restless fan because. He won an Emmy and played Victor Newman for like 30 years. Yes. So. Yeah. Okay. Good, good, good actor. Well, yeah, I thought he was very good. I think he's still alive, right? What a strange way to open an episode. I'm sorry. Hey, everybody. It's 11 O'Clock Comics, episode 712. And boy, oh boy, do we have something special for you this time around. It is a Tuesday by the time you hear this. It's a special episode brought to you by our wonderful patrons, Check out our Patreon site at patreon.com forward slash 11 o'clock comics. Who do we have this time around? We have the Bad Idea crew. Amazing. Yeah, we do. And they're going to just tell you. Uh, we'll look Din- at ideas. Dinesh and Warren <laughs> and Hunter. They're going to tell you all about their uh, their business plan and, and their comics and how they approach the, the art form. And it's just, a, I, I had a great time. Uh, again, Chef of the Future. But um, we should do the drink roll call before we go in, right? Yes, sure. of course. All right. Well, I'll start it off because Jason loves this. I hate to deprive the boy of something he loves. Mm-hmm. Um, again, the the Goru Gold Red Blend. I, I finished it off. So Wine Spectator says it's ninety three. Who am I to argue? I love it. Yeah, 
I love it. Next time I will be drinking the prophecy because I really like that. I know you didn't vibe on that because it wasn't highly rated, but I like it a lot. Nice. I uh, I'm also drinking the grape. I'm drinking a uh, Harrington Wheeler Cabernet Sauvignon. Nice. What's the rating on that? Uh, it's a 92, actually. Ooh. What? So I got. Um, wait a minute. I mine is 93. Yep. Nice. Wow. That never happens. Does yours have black plum, crushed berry, and crushed rock aroma? Oops. No, mine it's has. On the floor now. It's all over the floor. No, it was empty to begin with. Mine has um, French and Romanian oak barrels. Okay. Uh, cured cheese. Hopefully, mm-hmm. <laughs> hopefully I not. In... <laughs> I think that means it's paired well. With <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't think, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think you got the cheese in it. Give me that wine with the cheese in it, my good don't man. Think there's any fromage. <laughs> all right. Good lord. <laughs> Um, I am finishing off the, um, the Reuben and Flora, uh, Cabernet Sauvignon and, uh, Fitty Fitty blend of that. And, um, Carmenere, I have no idea what the, um, what the wine spectator rating would be on this. I think it's a 90. And I think Vince doesn't do well when we do the intro after everything. Cause we didn't do our intro names either. Oh, we sure shit didn't. Oh, look at that. No, I don't because actually, yeah, like I said, we're we're backtracking, right? We're pasting this in after the fact. We're all screwed up. It it's we're 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 high from the fumes of the bad idea interview. That's what, fact. That's what it is. Because I was gonna be Burl Ives, just the record. All right, then I'm Yule Gibbons. Okay. Who are you, Dap? Buddy the Elf. Aw. Did anybody watch the um, the the table read yesterday? No, I got the email too late. Yeah, I didn't know about it either until um, on my investment committee meeting today. One of my one of my coworkers mentioned it and had assumed I would have partaken, and I, I would have if I knew about it. Yeah, what's a table read? Table read for, oh. um, for, for yeah, the, the uh, runoff next month. Yeah, the the elf cast. Sat down and did a table read for all pro, for money for charity, and the proceeds went, as Dap said, to the Georgia runoffs. Was James Conn there? I think everybody was there, but Favreau. Wow, that's some doing. Yeah, I yeah. think I think Zoe was there. I think um, I think Mary Steenburgen was there. Ed Asner. Ed Asner's dead, isn't he? Oh, no, no, is he? I don't think he is. He, I oh, mean, I he, dead, was, he, he was in the second season of Cobra Kai. Not that that means, I mean, based on how long ago that was, but I don't know. Right, here we go. Was. Here we go. We had uh, Bob Newhart. Yeah, Bob nice. Newhart. Ed Asner. There we go. Mary Steenburgen, Amy Sedaris, Andy Richter, nice. Kyle Gass, Matt Walsh. Um, they were joined by Busy Phillips, Ken Jeong, Gat Matazaro, Wanda Sykes, Bradley Whitford, Ed Helms, John Lithgow, and John. Uh, oh, and Favreau was there. So they, I guess those other those other actors chimed in for reads for other characters. So James Conn was not there. Oh, oh. wait, Zoe wasn't there. Zoe was there. Uh, oh. Wait, oh wait, no, no, maybe she wasn't. Let's see. She needs a pinch if she wasn't there because that movie was very influential on in her becoming a. Uh... Oh no, she was there. Yeah. Good, good for her. Good. 
And I think she's looked the best in Elf far, you know, uh, above anything she's ever done. I mean, she's cute when she's a brunette, but I think she just works great as a blonde. And she's so bitchy, which is great. It yeah. does bum me out that the um, that the uh, maybe it's called That Side Duet is not on the soundtrack. I mean, the song is on the soundtrack, but not the duet with them, with Will and um, and Zoe. Okay, there you go. All right, so sit back, relax, and enjoy an hour plus. What was it about an hour? Almost two, bro. Oh, nice. A couple hours with the bad idea, guys. They will mm-hmm. inform and edumacate you, and you know, you're going to be excited for what they got coming. Listen. All right, and we teased this last episode that we had something special for you, and we've got quite the crew tonight. It is really a distinct pleasure because um, you all know if you've been listening to the show for a lot of years that we have really been big fans of the this trio's collective work uh, at their old haunt and are equally excited uh, at what they have upcoming as they try and shake up the conventional wisdom of the comic industry. So um, I'm going to go one by one here. But uh, up first, let me introduce uh, Mr. Dinesh Shamdasani, who is uh, co-CEO of Bad Idea Corp. Uh, you all know, probably know Dinesh, as I hinted, as being uh, one of the co-founders and, and CEO of Valiant back in the day. And he is now helming bad ideas well some other things which we may have some time to talk about and then up next is someone that many of you know from his days as a fantastic editor at marvel before he became i think employee number one at the new valiant or at least one of the first but certainly was the was the creative head of the valiant resurgence and that is mr warren simons hey guys and then last but uh, certainly not least if nothing else because he has great hair uh, is someone that uh, I've had the great pleasure to get to know over the last 10-plus years. And uh, he's definitely one of the best, I think, uh, media uh, execs in the comic industry, bar none. And uh, he is now proud to call himself the publisher of Bad Idea, Mr. Hunter Gorenson. Uh Thank you so much. There, there was not a ton of competition, but I will accept <laughs> <laughs> it. Goes anyway. Nice, nice. Well, it's it's great to have you guys on uh, again. It, we really do appreciate it. It's uh, I think a few times we talked about having you on back in your Valiant days, and it just never we could quite connect. So, um, so uh, I guess we 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 saved the uh, the best for last. So you're, you're thanks for having us, guys. We're very yeah, right on, right on. So why don't I can't we, um, wait till you figure out who we really are after that amazing intro. Clearly, it yeah, can't be this. Yeah, true. exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, so so why don't we start with um. Because we're going to spend most of the time on bad idea for sure, but but like we like to do with our first time guests, why don't we start with a little just uh, blurb or two about what got you into comics? Because one thing I know from Hunter, you guys are legit comic fans. Like this isn't just a a thing you do for business purposes, and that came through in Valiant. So so what got you into comics? When did you start reading, and and what pulled you in? What was the tractor beam? Born, you want to you want to go first? Uh, sure. Um, I grew up in the uh, 1980s as a gigantic, gigantic Marvel fan. Uh, so for me, I was a kid that uh, uh, had a deep and abiding love for the Marvel Universe. Uh, the the early stuff that I read was just I could probably still recite alphabetically all the all the characters that I loved and how much of a uh, uh, giant nerd that I was. Super cool to be reading comics in the 1980s, by the way. Uh, 
but but uh, uh, none of the real uh, uh, amazing cool sheen that you have with it now. But uh, when I was a kid, uh, my brother had uh, sort of like a lot of Richie Rich and Archie and some of those comics. And then one day uh, I was homesick and I asked my mom to pick me up some comics. And on the way home, she uh, accidentally bought me, I think, an issue of Avengers. Uh, and I wound up sort of being like, well, this isn't what I was like. What is this? What? And then I would sort of uh, all in from there. And uh, uh, so for me, it was just sort of a, a, a real deep love for, for the Marvel Universe. And that's sort of what brought me into the medium. That'll, that'll always be Warren's Avengers lineup, that late 80s, really sick Black Knight, Dr. Druid. And Dr. Druid. And Monica yeah. Rambo, Captain Marvel, and oh. Captain America. I mean, dude, throw in a little uh, Hercules in there. and you, You're just good to go, a little Iron Man. Yeah, Palmer era, yep. Oh, you had me at Gilgamesh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the real strange, weird Avengers teams was uh, sort of my entry point, and then I quickly fell in love with the uh, the X Men after that. But uh, growing up, it was a I was a Marvel kid in the eighties. Uh, when I was in the fourth grade, I got to go up to DC Comics. I did a report on uh, on the comic book industry, uh, as most fourth graders did. And uh, uh, I got to meet Denny O'Neill, and I got to sit in Denny O'Neill's office for about an hour uh, and interview him. Uh, and he gave me a uh, make-ready of The Dark Knight Returns, which I still have. Uh, I think it's issue three. Uh, so so from a very early age, I had a real uh, deep and abiding love for the medium. Uh, and it continued to grow uh, as, I, as I grew older. Hunter, what you, what's your origin story? Uh, let's see. My origin story is I was fortunate to grow up in a uh, I would call it a tri-generational comics household. So my dad, uh, I had I had the old dad. He wasn't like, you know, grandpa age, but he was like 10 years older than everyone else's parent in the late 80s, early 90s. He was in his mid 40s at that time. And he had grown up in New York, in Brooklyn. Um, in the late forties, early fifties. And his, and he was, you know, the child of a single parent. My, his father had died young and his mom was working during the day. So he did nothing but watch TV and read comics as a kid by himself in his apartment. And he had kind of a deep knowledge of like golden age, Marvel and DC had had a ton of those books as a kid, as well as like stuff like EC comics and pre-code horror. And a lot of that stuff was being reprinted when, I was a kid, you know, right around the gemstone put out all those EC books again. So I, he, he bought all that stuff for me. Then I had an older brother who was 10 years older than me. So while I'm a kid, you know, he's in late high school, totally into Claremont X-Men, um, the early days of vertigo, early Grant Morrison, Neil Gaiman, like all the good, the good stuff we still talk about today. And, and then I being, you know, five to 10 years old, super into Marvel, uh, you know, Todd McFarlane, Eric Larson, Amazing Spider-Man, as well as the beginnings of what would become Image um, and eventually the Ultraverse and Valiant and all that good stuff. So I had like the full buffet of comics history in my household, fortunately, um, and got pilled on that stuff pretty hard, as you guys probably can tell. So um, have had a have feels like I spent the rest of my life catching up on all that stuff again, you know, after I let it go mm. in my teens, then spending the rest of my life diving back into all those books I had and exploring all the things I'd kind of heard about, but never got a chance to investigate thoroughly. Awesome. 
Uh, I guess I'll go. The so I am like the heroin. I'm like the crack pipe equivalent of comics fan. I came in in the in the worst period, the '90s, with the Death of Superman and mm. uh, the 2099 universe, and of course Valiant and the Marvel Masterpiece trading cards. So, so my origin is not nearly as as sophisticated. It's it's foil and chromium and holograms and don't don't, don't be smart, Ravage 2099. Exactly, Ravage Twenty Nine Nine. Nobody knows who that is. Amazing book, written by Stanley. Ravage Twenty Ninety Nine in my house, bro. I I, I love the Twenty Ninety Nine stuff. Did you did you ever edit a Twenty Ninety Nine book, Warren? Didn't did you use Ravage? I don't think I did. Uh, uh, I don't think I've ever edited a Twenty Ninety Nine book. Uh, the road not taken, bro. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I wish I did though. In hindsight, but uh, I the best. The best 299 character, though, is Punisher. Uh, I'll fight anybody that says any different. It's time to fight. <laughs> what do you think, <laughs> Spidey? No, Ghost Rider. The Ghost Rider 2099. Yeah, yeah Ghost Rider 2099 is a character design. Doom's, got, Doom's pretty good, too. Yes. Yeah, Doom is good. So that's I, us. All right, right I on. Actually, you grew up, to expand on your origin a little bit, because I find it so interesting, you grew up in Hong Kong where only certain books were available, right? I did. I grew up in Hong Kong. We didn't have comic stores in Hong Kong. I had a buddy whose dad would make business trips to to the U.S. and he'd bring back a suitcase full of comics, and then this this little shit would trade them all to us for exorbitant prices. He would just he would gouge us all. He used to do this. He used to open a pack of trading cards because we didn't know how that they came in packs, and he would trade individual cards. And then one day we found him in the bathroom opening the cards up. So trying to hide it from us, so we would know that'd be six or twelve in a pack, uh, and so we we were sequestered to this man until we found the first comic shop, until the first one opened up, and then it was hallelujah. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I, I would very much like to spend the next hour or so talking about collecting original art with Dinesh because I know that he's a fellow art lover, but but my yes. my co my co-hosts have made me promise that we'll hit the we'll hit the big the big stuff first. So. Um, bad idea. Um, I mean, that's what you guys are all about now. And 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 again, certainly we 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 came to know you with Valiant, but Valiant came and went. You sold the company. You all made your polite exits, and then began brewing what has now become Bad Idea. And uh, before we were recording, Hunter made the point that you know what with everything that's happened this year, I mean, time kind of flies, and it's it's you know it's been probably close to two years, if not more, that uh, you all have been working on this now. Yeah. Um, so why don't we just, um, you know, let's, let's hear it from your, from your end in terms of, of after Valiant, why, why bad idea? And, and, and in particular, um, you know, the three of you sticking together, I think speaks to something too. So, so why stick together and, 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 and why bad idea? And then of course we'll, we'll roll our sleeves up and get into the meat of, of, of what you have coming. Why stick together? We've been asking ourselves that. All year. <laughs> it's like a death spiral. We're like locked in a death spiral, bro. You know what I mean? Team of rivals. Yeah. Just like you three gentlemen. I'm sure you know what that's all about. You know what I mean? <laughs> iron sharpens iron. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, what is what is wet celery sharpen? That's what we are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I think the the insider, the boring insider version of why why bad idea is I think that in trying to re- bring Valiant back this this amazing universe of characters that had had its day several times and not quite been able to stand up we had to be smarter and quicker and be moneyball and work harder and tell better stories than our competitors in order just to be viable 
you know, because Valiant really, having disappeared twice before, is like a baby bird. One wrong book, one wrong issue, and the whole thing could go away. Because people have this weird idea with Valiant where no matter what book they read, they assume every single issue Valiant ever published or ever will publish is of that quality, so it's got to be high. And I think doing that, we, we had to learn all the different levers to be able to pull in comics to make things work. And you're inherently held back in pulling a lot of these levers by the structures of the direct market, comics publishing. And we just got excited about this idea of what if, what if you could start from scratch? What if you didn't have the Valiant universe or preconceived notions of publishing? What could you do? And so while all the things that we talk about, no digital, no variants, no trades, only select stores, only direct market, sound insane, there is, when we talk to other publishers, there is an understanding of almost jealousy of like, we know what you guys are going to do and, and we can't get there because of the infrastructure that's in place where we are. Mm-hmm. Anything so, to add on that? Onto yeah, a I mean, for the past, we spent almost a decade working together at Valiant. And I think we, you know, I'd be interested to hear what your guys' take on it was, but I do feel like we made Valiant seem like a very, and look, we were blessed at Valiant to have the legacy of the company and all of the amazing creators that, that built the library from Barry Windsor Smith to Jim Shooter to Bob Layton to Don Perlin and on down the line, like some very, very tenured influential creators. There's no doubt about that. The characters have a great pedigree, but we spent 10 years, you know, taking this company that had been through a lot of trouble in the past and trying to make it seem like a big corporation that had a big imprint and had a big footprint and had a lot to stand on. And at the end of the day, it really was just like less than 10 people in a room. And in order to do that for over the course of a decade, we all busted our asses many times over and worked in each of our specific disciplines, you know, I think as fast learned on the job, I think as fast as any team of people could. And I think did it at a pretty high level by the end there. So I think it's safe to say that each of us got our 10,000 hours and then some on comics publishing. And I think one of the questions that we put to ourselves when we were theorizing what a new comic book publisher that I think is Dinesh summed up wouldn't be bound, didn't have to be bound by the same kind of traditional strictures that have governed probably the past 25 years or so of the direct market. And there's a lot of logic to those rules that govern the direct market, but a little, some of them are antiquated and some of them are geared towards things that aren't really based towards what's good for the comic book publisher or what's good for comic book stores. And we took a look at those rules and said, if we were com- completely freed of these strictures, what would we want to do? What would make us excited? What kind of books would we want to publish? What should those books look like? What would those books feel like? And that's how we arrived at the idea governing bad idea. And I think Dinesh is right about it's kind of like I look at it like us being inside the matrix a little bit. We know where all the where all the fault lines, where all of the seams are in comic book publishing. And this is us being able to get inside of it and kind of, you know, play with the matrix a little bit and push people's buttons and, and see what comes of it. And I think if, I'm, I'm very, very optimistic, if not outright hopeful that a lot of the things that we do here might help, you know, give some people some idea, light a fire under some people's ass a little bit and get people excited. So that's, that's, that was kind of the, the guiding principles, how this thing came together. I will say there was no master plan, you know, it was kind of an evolution over time, but we've had a lot of fun, no doubt. 
Yeah, and I, th- I think that that's right. And I think I'm thinking about it now as well. And the other component, the flip side of this coin, is also we really became friends, family, etc. At Valiant, not just the executives, but also the creators. And there was a desire to all work together again. So everyone had bad idea, but also people like Matt Kint and Eric Heiser and Jeff Lemire and Luis Rosa and Venditti and Dyson. All these people are are our best friends in the world, and we just want to make comics. And we want to make them with our friends, and we have the opportunity to do that with Bad Idea, and it was very hard to turn that down. I think. Yeah, there. You know, from from, from my to share the sentiment that the guys are saying, uh, uh, certainly all those things are are true and are components of what what we do. But I think also the main thing for me is is uh, you know we were very lucky at Valiant. We had an enormous number of incredible characters that we. We walked in and inherited on day one. And as Hunter noted, we had, you know, things that were built by Shooter and Layden, Barry Windsor Smith and Lapham and, you know, some of the best creators uh, uh, that had ever done, had ever worked in the medium. But I think that we were also able to uh, put out a number of really, really, really good books, uh, obviously in collaboration with our creators, uh, as Dinesh just mentioned, guys like Venditti and Dysard and, and, uh, uh, Matt Kent and, and Jeff Lemire and, you know, it's a really difficult thing to do for the most part, as I'm sure you guys are aware. Uh, uh, you know, it's not a, uh, it's not making the Godfather every time out, but getting a good book out the door in comics is difficult. And there are a million ways that that could go wrong along the way, whether that's on the editorial side or the freelancer side or the marketing side or the sales side. And, you know, we had a really, really, really good team uh, uh, along with, with Josh Johns, who's our director of marketing, and Adam Freeman, who's our director of sales, at building an infrastructure in place where we're able to replicate a process of hopefully putting good comics out the door month after month after month after month. So I think that it's very enticing for us to have that opportunity to work together again because we we know each other's shorthands, we know each other's strengths and weaknesses, uh, uh, we know each other's faults and and. You know, I think as a team, building a team where we can put stuff out into the marketplace that is well received, hopefully, that that's good for the creators, that's good for the company. I think that that's one of the big allures is just not having to, you know, go at this again with a new crew where you're just stepping on landmines all over the place. Where you know the the basic structure of putting a comic together, of marketing comic, of selling it. You know, we know each other well, and I think that's definitely one of the reasons why we're all working together again. God, we sound cocky, huh? It's like there's a confidence <laughs> sounds cocky. Let, let me let me just underline that the the we would equally be happy with the failure scenario, and I think that's the name of the company. Because think about this silly plan that we have. If it fails, it's not just going to fail; it's going to fail spectacularly, and that's kind of fun too. And I think there's a there's an element of that for us. Yeah, yeah. So, nothing's a lock. There's no guarantee here. Certainly, uh, uh, yeah. Put our best foot forward, and and. and just like when we walked into Valiant on, on, you know, when I got there in 2011, Hunter got there in, you know, 2011, on day one, day two, whenever it was, you know, we were, we, we knew that this was an uphill battle. Uh, uh, reintroducing the Valiant universe without Solar Magnus and Turok uh, uh, that hasn't published in a decade. Uh, people were looking at us like, why? Uh, uh, many of us, many of the Valiant fans were looking at us like, hurry up. But most people were just trying to figure out why we were doing this or, you know, at least from an editorial standpoint. So I think that there's always a challenge uh, just to get a good book out the door. It's difficult to do. So I think when you're in an environment where you can 
hopefully replicate that over and over again. Uh, that's very alluring, at least for me. But um, one thing we've gotten to do at Bad Idea, which I'm sure you guys have caught into a little bit from the limited amount of stuff we've put out thus far, is we've tried to inject a little bit more, a little less of the very serious tone that seems to have, and I mean, look, Valiant was Valiant was part of that too, but trying to bring this like, you know, very film and TV um, kind of serious, heavy tone to everything that we that you get put out, like trying to match the tone of, of superhero cinema in many ways. Everything is a high stakes, world ending, global disaster, and to a lot of, to to a great extent, publishers have adopted that kind of you know heavy tone about what all of their comics are about to a certain extent. And while you know our comics are, I, I would take the Pepsi challenge on our book, our books with anything coming out these days from image, Marvel, DC, dark horse, boom, et cetera, aftershock on down the line. But the place that we did have had a lot of fun is trying to just differentiate ourselves from a tonal standpoint. I think that all starts with the name, which is bad idea, obviously something a lot of people didn't see coming or expect. Right. I don't, bro. Fucking mad shit right away, bro. You know what I'm saying? Just taking on the whole industry. It, it, it's a bold move, but I, I don't think you guys should understate what you did with Valiant because from uh, the the perspective of fans who were there with the OG Valiant, there was a very, very high bar set by that, yeah. that, that original Valiant stuff. And as fans, we expected a lot out of what you guys were going to do and you met or exceeded and I'm just speaking uh you know personally you met or exceeded my expectations. Oh, thanks man. If you look at our our um releases over a certain period of time, we go hot and heavy on value. I mean, we are all in because the work was phenomenal oh, wow. and it and it just kept going like divinity and and Dr. Mirage and the book of death stuff and like, oh my god, can this thanks, stuff guys. get any better? And then if you if you look at uh, again our output we trail off after a while and it's because the presence is not there and I, I think you guys uh, did a phenomenal job with Valiant and we were so excited in this stuff uh, there was a time when here's a little bit of behind the scenes stuff we mm -hmm. we list everything we've read for the week going into the next episode and it got to the point where. They, David and Jason would start busting my ass because there would be one or two Valiant books on it every time. And they'd be like, <laughs> okay, he's going to talk Valiant again. But I thought the work was very deserving. So again, for Bad Idea, you guys have another high bar. And you said it yourself. So um, I just can't wait to see what you guys are going to do, in addition to what we've already read. It's going to be crazy. Very yeah. Uh, well, well-deserved words. Um, so let's talk about the stuff that uh, we've seen, if you want to. I, I, I'm going to tip my hat. I loved, loved Tankers. I thought it was awesome. a, a book that was absolutely written for me. Yeah. No surprise there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, so what I was going to say, with you, you were kind enough to send us um, four of the five books. Uh, right, yeah, four of the five, and yep. um, so so, but our audience unfortunately didn't get that didn't get that advantage. Um, but uh, what like, but before we get into the specifics, the the one thing I want to make sure because I think we're taking for granted that that we've been along for the ride with you all since you announced. But 
But for those listening that maybe don't remember from a year or so ago or, or haven't been paying as close attention to industry news, you've made it clear that you took lessons from Valiant and wanted to do something different this time, but maybe just, you know, for the sake of those that, that, that don't know the answer mm-hmm. to the test, what is going to be different about Bad Idea specifically? Sure, sure. So we are a publisher that uh, will be publishing a limited run of books, no more than two books a month, not breaking the wallet. We're going to get some big creators, really high bar in terms of creative. That's kind of what we do. But the crazy ideas are no variants, no digital releases, which means only physical, only in stores as well, not in every store, just in select stores, stores that reach out to us, a certain kind of bad idea store. Um, no digital, no uh, trades, so no trade paybacks, no hardcovers, no waiting for trade. So that kind of older experience of having to go in monthly, search out the back issues, and um, across genres, not necessarily a shared universe. All of our books, depending on when this podcast comes out, Hunter might yell at me in a minute, uh, yep. will include what we're calling a B-side, which is not just the A story. So, for instance, ENIAC, number one, our launch book, is an oversized, very oversized first issue for ENIAC, but it includes a story called Save Now in the back, which would be a whole different thing, whole new characters, whole new concept. And we're looking at those from a really high bar, Matt Kent and Thomas Giarello on, on Save Now. We're looking at those as a way to just have fun and tell really interesting, crazy stories without a lot of the resources needed a lot of the expenditure needed and so we can do things that maybe are a little more risky and a little more fun what do i miss guys in terms of what we're doing no i think that's taking a look at like we took a look across the entire industry right as well as we took a look at the the kind of strictures that we put on ourselves at valiant and you know there's a lot of these unspoken rules in comics that say Everything has to be an ongoing series, or if you do a limited series, it has to be four issues or it has to be six issues. There's a lot of this like common wisdom inside the industry that's become very codified, especially over the last decade. And the truth of the matter is, if you look back at kind of like the renegade history of comic book publishing from like, you know, the direct market starts in the mid 70s through today. There's been a lot of permutations there and a lot of fun stuff that's fallen by the wayside. And like all of that stuff, as you guys can probably tell from our history as readers and fans, is all stuff that like, you know, informed what our opinions of comics were early on. So being able to do crazy stuff like Tankers, for instance, is a bi-monthly, double-sized, three-issue limited series. I think we say in some of the initial publicity around it, we can't give you the entire thing at one time because it would kill you because it's so... (laughs) So like the idea of... I think my personal hope for what bad idea books feel like is I remember that feeling of going into a comic book store when I was, you know, actively seeking out back issues or or going every Wednesday and you'd step into these places and they were like repositories of renegade culture almost like they felt completely unmediated by the mainstream. Sure. You had your Marvel and DC books, even Marvel and DC books at the time felt like, you know, these artifacts from another universe, but you'd find all sorts of, you know, you'd find like an issue of Grendel or you'd find some weird oversized issue of 2000 AD, or you'd see like a Mobius reprint comic put out by Dark Horse. And it was just like comics was this incredibly broad, compelling medium. Um, and I think part of what's informed our sensibility of what that idea can feel like is having books 
that are art objects unto themselves. Like I do think there's a beauty to the monthly periodical print comic, you know, 22 pages, 32 pages, 48 pages, just a big hunk of entertainment crafted by really high quality creators. It's not full of, you know, it's not full of fluff. It's not full of ads. You know, we're trying to create these things that are like just hot, just, just, dose i think i just used the phrase fragments of another universe like i'd love for someone to feel like you know i would love for someone to read one of these books and be like where the hell did this thing come from you know what i mean um and to me that's really exciting opportunity to and i think that's reflected by how we're talking about the books how we're going to distribute the books like we're just trying to point to people and say yes these books come out every month but every single one you ever pick pick up from bad idea is going to be special. And I think every single thing we do points back at trying to make the books feel special because at the end of the day, they're arts and they should be treated like art. Yeah. And, and and maintaining the surprise as well. So, so even with the B sides, we're not going to be promoting every single one. There's our hope is that people will walk into the store and buy tankers. Number two, have no idea what's in the back of that book and just be completely taken on a ride without preconceived notions without it being spoiled online. And we're asking our fans to do a little bit more than everyone else has asked them. They've got to go find one of these stores. It's a bad idea destination store. They're probably going to have to pre-order. We've built a company not to need huge numbers. We're not going to go out there and overprint and make sure the books are there and overship to stores. When they sell out, they sell out. That kind of we think will help us as well. We're asking the stores to do a lot more. They've got to abide by a list of crazy rules. We can't believe, frankly, some of the things they've agreed to do for us. Um, but hopefully we will do the same and go the extra mile and people will feel like they're getting something more from a bad idea book than they're getting from anyone else because, as Hunter's saying, they're artisan pieces. We're not a corporation doing this because we want to make widgets. We're a bunch of people that really love comics and are trying to just do cool things, and hopefully that shows in the books. Yeah, and, and part of it also is just the joy of, of jumping around to different genres, you know, telling stories that are just bizarre strange and fun and and you know wonderful and and having artists here who were you know guys like doug braithwaite and, and adam polina and tomas girillo and Luis rosa and and uh, uh just going down the list just you know the art that i'm looking at on my wall right now is just insane and you know for me the stories that we're telling you know it's not uh, uh trying to draw blood from a stone and trying to get one lost arc out of a character that has, you know, a 50-year publishing history, a 75-year publishing history, or, or telling a story which is, you know, clearly meant for another medium, but just really leaning into the beauty of comics and, and doing comics for comic sakes and, you know, telling these really wonderful stories with marquee creators and then also having a, you know, a B-side story in all those books with, with something which is potentially completely unrelated to the A story, uh, uh, at least narratively. Uh, so it's a lot of fun. We're, we're building, we're building strange and wonderful and awesome stuff. And it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, just to clarify the B side aspect of the books, are these going to be self-contained stories yes. or, yes. okay. So you're not going to go the Hill house route and do yeah, a, the, uh, the dark horse presents 
thing where it's like serialized. Right. This will be announced. This is actually this will be in, this will be announced by the time everyone is listening to this. So apologies in advance. This will be breaking uh, tomorrow. But the first the first uh, B side in ENIAC number one will be called Save Now. I think as Dinesh mentioned, and it's going to reunite Matt Kent and Tomas Giarello and Diego Rodriguez, who were the incepting creative team on our so Man War relaunch. Like the I think. Valiant's highest selling book of all time from uh, 2017. So we're pretty excited about that for obvious reasons. That is awesome. Yeah. See, I told you. I told you I was saying something too early. This is our relationship. I'm getting <laughs> in trouble now. But uh, but actually, Humor Trade is a great example of this. So the book we put out, that, that crazy book that we pretended wasn't from us and we sent one per store and most of them threw them away, was a story that we built for a B side and we just liked it so much. We wanted to give it a different platform, a bigger spotlight. So they're all they're, they're very much going to be like that, just insane things done in ones, very much in the tradition of oh, no, three, four. Sorry, what was that, Hunter? You cut out for two seconds in there, man. I'm sorry. So I said two comps that we use are EC Comics, which uh, you know those, those amazing venerated short stories in Tales and the Crypt and, and Weird Science, and Weird Fantasy, and Strange Tales One Ten which introduced Doctor Strange in a backup that was a little bit off the beaten path from Marvel. Yeah, and one of the things which is also wonderful as an editor is is you can ask David Lapham, who probably has not uh, uh, drawn someone else's scripts in you know 20 years or whatever, if he wants to draw this eight-page backup. And, you know, if Matt Kent writes it and David draws it, and the next thing you know, we have this wonderful little story that's, you know, gained an enormous amount of heat. Uh, and we obviously, uh, uh, when stuff works, we like to see more of it, but it's nice as an editor just to be able to, you know, kind of work with the teams and, you know, throw a lot of weird stuff at the wall and, and see what sticks and what doesn't, what kind of collaborations work and what, what doesn't. So there's, there's a lot of joy in the creation side of here. I think that we're all leading into and having a good time. With. The, um, I, hero trade was the first preview you, you you guys sent that i read i absolutely loved it awesome. and i i um kicking myself that i don't actually have it so i gotta yell at my i gotta make sure my comic shop is aware of you guys but yeah uh, that's what we want we want people yelling at their stores i absolutely will I'll, I'll i'll see them wednesday and i'll let them know awesome. um the uh but but my question about that was was that was that something that Matt and David came up with. Did you guys pitch to them? Did they? How did? How did that even? How did Matt and David come together to the story? I'm I'm curious to know how that was formed. That, Warren, that particular this, story. This was, how that happened. Warren. This was you and Matt at Comics Pro over a drink, wasn't it? Yeah. So we went down to Comics Pro early this this week, uh, early this year uh, in February, which now seems like 25 years ago. But uh, we we had a Comics Pro is wonderful. We got to meet a ton of retailers and and talk to a ton of retailers about the plan. Uh, and one night Matt and I were at the bar, uh, uh, talking about, you know, stories that are coming up. And I think I, I pitched him on an eight page story of, uh, uh, a hero of a guy who's got a super, who's got a superhero's body in his trunk and he's trying to unload it. And that was just kind of a little prompt that I gave to Matt. And then Matt, you know, he loved it. He ran with it. And he, of course, is a genius, so uh, uh, he inhabited this with a whole big world and, and filled out the characters and filled out the mythology. And, you know, he's one of my favorite collaborators to work with. I mean, Matt's obviously a, uh, a extraordinary illustrator and writer, and uh, uh, he's also a great collaborator. So, you know, this is part of the joy of, of 
of working at that idea. You know, part of the joy of working with this caliber of creator uh, and this type of creator is that if we have an idea that we like and we spitball and we kick around, you know, and then Matt knocks it out and then suddenly we have a little thing here and it's not, it, it doesn't require an enormous amount of uh, going through 10 levels of a corporation to get something approved. It's just an idea that we like and we get it in and we talk about it and, you know, we, we bounce it off of David and ask him to draw it and he agrees and, you know, it's there's a lot of stuff that's happening uh, uh, kind of off the cuff or just an idea that we move to that we like. Uh, and it, it's wonderful. It's really part of, I think, uh, as the guys were mentioning earlier, uh, part of the wonderful kind of weird, frenetic, amazing uh, uh, things about working in comics. Uh, you know, you don't need $100 million to make a comic book. Uh, you know, any one of your listeners right now could, you know, if they're a writer, they can find an artist. If they're an artist, they can find a writer. And you could and just pitch not. Warren. I encourage them to pitch Warren. <laughs> Will you guys put the email Warren's email address up on the podcast so that everyone can reach out to Warren? Oh, or on Twitter. That. Just find him on Twitter, guys. Dinesh also runs a production company, so if you'd like to make <laughs> just throw at each other under the bus, I, it, it's <laughs> and it's funny because our um our wonderful when... stuff develop into movies. So you feel free to reach out to him there. <laughs> Good lord, the uh, I mean we we've had we we've had listeners get to get we we've um. Listeners got together and 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 antho- three volumes and anthologies were published because of of, of oh, our wow. listeners got getting together and 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 some of them still still work together today on 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 indie projects and things like that. But but the way you guys are explaining, especially with Hero Trade, I, we'll get into how some like how things like Tankers or ENIAC came about. But um, I'm 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 loving the organic way something like Hero Trade because I mean, comics are. You can have you can have comic stories put together organically, like Hero Trade, or you could have th- and there still be cool stories. But then you also get the um, the more controlled, maybe even sterile type of environment that that, that may be a cross gen, or, or even uh, some of the other editorially heavy handed publishers might, in order to push an idea forward and and you know, story be damned. This is this is the idea we have. We want to see it through. Um, we just have to get here, whether or not the story is good, as long as we get to the end. But yeah, that's not that's not for us. That's, that's I, something it doesn't sound like it. Pretty anticipative. This happens to be like Warren Jenner. This is a great proof of concept for what bad idea is. Warren had a kernel of an idea, gave it to Matt. Matt fleshed it out. Gave it to David Lapham. Lapham fleshed it out. It came in. Hunter, I want to give him props here. Had an amazing point of view, which ended up sparking a whole line of these things. The next hero trade is frankly even better than the one that we've just put out and may or may not already be in stores. We're not we're not telling anybody whether it's in stores or not. Make them run there. Um, but then we, we put it out. We do exactly what we're going to do with the launch, which is select stores, fly into the radar. People love it, and it becomes a thing that helps us get awareness and cut through all the noise. And then we'll reprint it in ENIAC 3. So anyone that wants to read it, they can read it. Just go into a store and buy ENIAC 3. Felt for us like, wow, we might have something that that works here. All these crazy ideas might end up stringing together. That's great. Yeah, it's wonderful to be in an environment with with Hunter and with Dinesh and with Josh and with Adam, and it's just a real nice collaborative environment. Where we're all building, we're all taking our egos out of the way, and we're just trying to build the best books possible. You know, uh, Walesville's one that you know Matt just came to us with a. a a bunch of ideas but one of them was what Walesville became and you know we just like the idea of publishing this kind of amazing Pixar Miyazaki-ish 
uh, uh, you know, Studio Ghibli story about a little boy who gets swallowed by a whale. Uh, and when he wakes up, he discovers that he's inside a whale's belly and there are four little sea creatures there. And he's talking to them and he doesn't know whether he's died or not. And he kind of goes on this adventure where he has to, you know, ultimately befriend these 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 animals and, and help save them uh, because his dad's the, the, the captain of a whaling ship that's going to kill the whale. So it, it's not that we look at that and, you know, we, we want to publish that because we think it's a wonderful story. So we're just always kind of trying to drill down on just what the story is and, and what we think would be fun that we'd love to read. And then as we go from there, I think that it, it helps uh, uh, really make the line vibrant and wonderful and beautiful. You know, we're not we're not doing stuff which we're 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 forced to adhere to a bunch of corporate mandates or anything along those lines. It's just a, a bunch of people in a room making comics because, you know, they're making us smile. Right. Yeah, well, first of all, just uh, I know Vince kind of uh, already leaked that Tankers was his favorite. Uh, Walesville was mine. Amazing. Yeah, well, I knew it would be because uh, I have a whale tattoo on my arm. I love whales. (laughs) Like, I have a disproportionate love for whales. And I'm also uh, probably equally as as fanatical about Matt as a writer. So, uh, yeah, my my hat's off to you. And you guys are kind of getting it at at the next thing I wanted to touch on, which is that, you know, one of the interesting things is when I look at the slate that you have announced – You've got ENIAC with, with Matt and uh, Doug Braithwaite. You've got Tankers with Venditti and, and Juan Jose Rip. Whales Ills, you just said, with Matt and Adam Polina. The Lot with Marguerite Bennett and Renato Geddes. And then Sleigh Bells with Zeb Wells and David Lofente. Um, you know, not, it's not lost on any of us that, that a lot of them were already existing, both, I'm sure you have personal relationships, but also obviously very successful collaborative creative relationships at Valiant. Where they, but but at Valiant they they got to do their own takes on those characters, and I think that's really what made the line fantastic while you guys were helming it. But but this is a much different beast, right? Like you said, you're you're trying to almost be orthogonal by design, and and so what I'm what I'm wondering is like you just said that the the Lapham the hero trade was was a kernel of idea that that you had Warren, whereas Walesville was Matt's idea just coming to you. So so. How should we think about this in terms of the existing titles you've announced, but then also in the future? Will this be just creators that you really value and trust? Just will you view this? Is this a white space where they can pitch you something? And if it if it makes sense, you say go. Or do you feel like you're going to have a little bit more of a, a creative hand in helping spark these ideas? I think, you know, I, I think that we're open towards everything. I think that we love, you know, Matt came to us with so many ideas. You know, ENIAC was one of them. It's just wonderful stuff. Uh, uh, so we love when Matt comes to us with ideas or our other creators. Uh, uh, it's it's really wonderful to to be able to to tap into their genius brains and and you know uh, uh, work with them on something that we feel is is that they can't do elsewhere. Uh, so in that regard, it's wonderful. And if we have an idea that we like and we bounce it off of one of our creators and they spark to it. That's, that's great as well. Uh, nothing is set or structured in, in any capacity as far as that goes. Uh, what we do have, and, and as an editor, what I take personal pride in, and I think that, you know, the guys uh, agree with me here is that the relationships we built with these creators, you know, for some of them, it's going on two decades. Uh, uh, for me, I've been working with, you know, Josh and Rob uh, since, since 20, 2012 or 2011, 
when we began to develop. Uh, and Dinesh as well, of course, has been working with with these guys as well. And Hunter. Since, and Hunter. Hunter, of course. And Hunter, of course. You know, when we began to develop, uh, uh, you know, EXO and 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 Harbinger. So, you know, what we want to do is we want to be in a position where we're never, where where the best idea always wins. But we're also working with with creators who were who were cool with that. Uh, uh, frankly, and and you know, but we never, you know, we never want to force an idea on anyone. I mean, there's no joy in that. You know, we don't want to, uh, uh, you know, we don't want someone to do something if they don't feel like it's it's something they want to do. Uh, uh, but by the same token, we love having that collaborative environment. I, I would say, I would say, at Bad Idea, one of the things that we talk a lot about is don't worry about authorship. That's, there's no ego at Bad Idea. We work with people that are incredibly talented, and they. They very often have the best ideas, and and we're very collaborative, and they're very collaborative, and we try and approach it as what's the best idea, and that can not just be creative, but we've all been talking to Robin Diddy this whole week, and he's had 30 amazing marketing and sales ideas that we've just been happy to scoop up and do. He recorded, he came up with, planned, budgeted, and then found the team to shoot the craziest comic book promo you've ever you will ever see in your life. I cannot believe that he got away with this. Uh, I realize I'm teasing now, um, but it involves high artillery, and it is for tankers. So that's <laughs> all I think I should say. Uh, and it's insane. And the guys all feel, and I say that I take a lot of pride in this. That this is their company as much as it is anyone's company, and this is a place where they can stretch. And, and if they're a writer and they want to come up with marketing ideas, wonderful. And any other possible uh, leap from one discipline to another, we encourage it. Love it, love it. So I, I and I'm just full disclosure. Uh, Hunter already knows this, but for 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 Warren Dinesh, I'm the sort of business model guy because it's I can't shake my day job, and so I'm fascinated. I'm okay. as fascinated by your, uh, as you said, uh, uh, go big or go home business model as I am uh, the, the creative side, which is saying something because I love the creative floor and I've seen a bit, but. But I, I, the thing I'd love to hear you speak about, and, and I would imagine your views have sharpened or codified since a year or so ago when you started talking about this, um, is the idea of scarcity. Because, you know, Dinesh, you, you, you said you got started in the 90s, right? And we joked about, mm-hmm. the, you know, hologram covers and all that stuff and, and Death of Superman. So you, you became a nut uh, at a time when the industry almost went under, right? Um, mm-hmm. Because yeah. of speculation. And, and then... I really, I think a lot of us that have been at this, these OGs, if you will, that that really are here for the love of the craft, really like it resonates when we hear you say things like that. You know, it's about the art, and it's not about fifteen variant covers or just you know stocking the stores with unsold issues. Like that's music to our ears, right? But where I'm, where I struggle a bit is is then what I perceive to be an intentional. And this is where I'm hoping you can correct me. It seems to me like you're fostering an intentional scarcity. And and with that, to me, I've always thought of scarcity equals price gouging, speculation. And those are not great things to me about like the longevity of, yeah. of, of a publisher. So so how do you where am I wrong? Like, like what are your what what do you see as the advantages of the intentional scarcity? And, and what I mean by that is that. You know, you started, I think, when you guys first broke the news of Bad Idea, you were talking about maybe 20, at least at the start, 20 premier, uh, you know, stores that you were going to work with. And then I, I think after your Comics Pro experiences, you you agreed to grow that and then COVID. So now I think at launch, you're going to have roughly 200 global stores that you're working with. But I, I just I'd love to understand what you think the scarcity means for Bad Idea and your 
your business partners at the stores? From a from a business standpoint, you have to look at the, the model and think these people are insane. It's called bad idea because it's a really good way to lose a lot of money. But there is a nuance to what we're doing. Like the number one question we have to ask ourselves is we don't have, like the original Valiant, characters people know, Magnus Solatorok, or when we joined Exoman, War, Bloodshot, Harbinger, etc. We don't have Wolverine. We don't have Batman. So what do we do to cut through that noise and get people to be aware of us because that's the first job we have. Speculation is when handled incorrectly, a very dangerous, very destructive thing. But just a pinch of it can be valuable. And we see publishers do it across the board. So we are not going to run into speculation. And the hero trade is a great example of that, but we are going to use it to a certain extent. The, the retailers decided the number of copies ordered of the hero trade. Now, we're no fools. We understood that the business is not set up to encourage orders for a book where there's no creative team that's known. We didn't even tell them who the creative team was, where it's an unknown character from an unknown publisher, looks like an amateur book. We had four stores order more copies. Everyone else had their one. So we understood going into that that there would be a limited nature in the number of copies available. We didn't think there'd be quite as much demand, and that's been the big surprise for us across the board at Bad Ideas. We literally thought we were launching with 25 stores, and we were comfortable with that. We, are, we had to increase to 50 and then 100, and now we're at 250 stores. It's wonderful, 10 times where we thought we'd be. Ultimately, though, from the beginning, we knew we would reprint the Hero Trade in ENIAC 3. So what we're going to do is not look at things like Netflix or look at the 90s. Those are two things that I see a lot of other publishers talk about. But where we've tried to draw ideas from are places like the designer toy world and sneaker culture, where you can use the I've got to have it right now and I've got to have it in my hands physically to get people excited, to spark FOMO to a certain extent. And then ultimately, very quickly after that, anyone can have it and anyone can read it. So I would say for bad idea, if you're the kind of reader that needs to have it day one and hold it against everyone else and nanny nanny boo them, you're going to have a tough time. And we're not going to make it easy on you because we're not going to be like we were at Valiant or like other publishers are where we're going to come to your house and hand you the book ourselves in any format you want. You're going to have to do it under our terms. However, if you're the type of reader that just wants to read it and you're okay to wait a couple days – I don't think you're going to have a problem, and we'll make sure that – in the same way we're making sure Hero Trade is accessible to everybody by putting it not in the number one but in the number three that will be on sale for the regular three ninety nine price for free. Yeah, what? and just to, to echo what Dinesh was outlining there, so in creating a system that's unique like the Bad Idea one, you obviously create a lot of problems almost or um, – you know, thought exercises that we then have to follow down to their logical um, conclusion if we were to let them run rampant. And so, you know, every, as, as I think as we alluded to earlier, every store in the Bad Idea Network has agreed to, in many cases, many egregious terms that have never been put on them by other publishers. But several of those are designed to prevent a scenario on which someone could go in, let's say on day one, buy every single copy of ENIAC in the store and then pop it on eBay for 25 bucks. That is impossible in the, due to the terms that we've outlined with retailers. Walk, walk through some of those terms, Hunter. Walk through, walk through a couple of those. Sure. I don't think we've ever disclosed all of them publicly because we do reserve the right to um, drop a bunch of them like a ton of bricks <laughs> on the public at any point. But like one, every bad idea book, for instance, is limit one per customer. So someone cannot come in and say, I'm cleaning you out of all your bad idea books. Two, every bad idea book must be sold at cover price for at least 30 days, 
by the retailer. So again, a retailer uh, can't take all the books, put a $50 price tag on them. They have to abide by the retail price for at least 30 days. When I think by any reasonable, any reasonable definition, it becomes a back issue. Right. And there's several more in that vein. And then I think another thing to just keep in the back of your mind as we talk about this too, is there's a lot of lip service in the industry paid to, um, you know, comic book publishers saying, Retail stores are our partners, right? And that's something every publisher says, and it's true at some fundamental level for everybody. However, there is something to be said, something that we, you know, at Valiant definitely dealt with, and it's, it's a universal truth throughout the industry, is kind of like the, the direct market is kind of predicated upon, you know, marketing individuals like myself from various publishers going to the doorstep of comic book stores, um, hat in hand every 90 days when the preview cycle resets and saying, you thought that was a big book before, guess what? The new one that's coming, even bigger. You need to get those orders up, order more, 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 more. And the entire direct market is like the set that is the, is that the tagline is more, more, more. That's what every publisher is telling stores to do all the time. And the logic that that idea is tapping into to a great extent is we're asking stores to self select in right come to us say we like your guys's model we think we're the right kind of store to sell these books can we be actual partners with you can we figure out a way to make these books work in our store and we're working with stores on like a store by store basis that's one of the benefits of having a limited roster is we can literally interface with every one of them figure out what we can do to make it work in their store do special stuff tailored to them but um you know, for the first time, we are the we, we are the first compo publisher probably ever to be saying, you know what? Don't order more. Most of you guys order less. Actually, most of you, maybe none. That's okay. And, you know, if you're a comic book retailer that's used to being told more, more, more all the time, it drives you insane <laughs> to hear someone tell you to not tell you maybe maybe this one's not for you. But that's bad idea. And, and that's across the board. That's human psychology. Anyone tells you you don't want this, you go, well, well, how do you know? But the truth is, and we saw this at Valiant, there are a percentage, a big percentage, but a percentage of stores that should be stocking a Valiant book or a Dark Horse book or even an image book. And the rest of the stores are mostly DC, but certainly all Marvel. And not even every store, maybe surprised to hear this, not every store sells DC, nor should it. Every store does sell Marvel. And so we don't want to ask stores that really don't have any business selling bad idea books because they can't sell them. We're not building product that's helpful to them to think about us, to worry about us, to spend any money on us, or for us to spend any money on them. And that's okay. We're asking them to decide, can you sell bad idea? Because we'll be there for you. But don't, don't worry about it otherwise. And I think that's being a bit of a, uh, a rallying cry uh, among the community. But so far it's worked. I mean, we, as we said, 10 times the number of stores we thought we'd launch with. We were surprised to see how many stores, and the, pre, the initial pre-order data we're getting is very strong. So there should be a sizable number of copies of the books out there, and with these rules, it should protect against speculation to an extent. There will always be people trying to cut, cut through the rules, find loopholes, and over time, we plan on building a company that people care about and characters people care about. So we plan on growing our reader base. There's nothing we can do about making sure there are enough copies today for readers in three years. There will be demand that is greater than supply when as the years click by yeah just, there, yeah yeah go, go, go. stuff we haven't announced yet about 
quirks and mechanics of how that system works. So I don't want to give away too much, but I, I will say that if if you're someone who's worried about how can I read if I if I don't if my store runs out of ENIAC number one, they only have ENIAC three and four. How will I be able to catch up on the story? Or we do have a we will have a mechanism in place that abides by all of all, all of our self imposed rules that will allow that to happen. Um, we are we do want people to read and enjoy and treasure these books. Like none of this, none of these shenanigans that we're doing and none of these self-imposed limitations are good, are worth a damn unless the books are as good as good, as good, if not the best comics coming out of the industry at any given point. If they're not, no one cares about any of this. And that's the, that's, that's the last chapter of that story as far as I'm concerned. It, it does my heart good to hear that you have these contingency plans in place because as a, uh, a collector of uh, Japanese vinyl. Uh, I see it all the time where you'll get a, a designer that just pops onto the scene, their stuff becomes popular, the numbers are small to begin with, and then you have a relatively large amount of people trying to scoop these these small amounts of, of vinyl pieces up, and you get collector fatigue. You'll get guys that are real real hot in the beginning, and they're like, I got to have everything from this, this designer, and like, oh, crap, this thing sold out in five minutes. So um, I, I'm just a little concerned about the, the, the limited amount of outlets for your books, and what I'm assuming is going to be the increased demand for them. Um, and, and the best, the best comp for us that we use that we think is happening with what we're doing for our books in comics is probably Turtles, the original Turtles from Mirage, or maybe Bone. Where if you want a first print of Turtles One, you're gonna have to pay at this point. But there's a second and a third and a fourth. There are a hundred ways to read that book. And if you want a first print and you don't want to spend the money, I don't know that we have sympathy for you because that is a collectible. But if you want to read it, it's very readily available. Right. No, I, I think it's a it's a pretty sound approach because it it enhances the, the the creativity, the artifice of these art objects, which is why we're in this, right? Uh, right. You're just you're just not going to churn out the same pap that can be you know procured anywhere. You want to make these things special. I'm totally down with that, and it's refreshing to hear. But um, I've just I'm I'm. Kind of, sort of con- concerned about the uh, collector attrition because there's some people that'll just throw in the towel. Um, but I mean, we're well, going to try. Co- as a collector, you know, the number one rule in collecting is if you try to manufacture collectible, you can guarantee that you won't. Oh, right, so that's right. A rule that we know very well. We're not going to slap collector's edition or limit the print runs to a certain extent, or we're just going to try and make great books. We're going to let the, the the direct market decide the rest of it. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I know that you guys, um, at least back when you were talking about this in comics, where you made the point, and it makes sense that it was something like the eighty twenty rule, right? Where where you found that that you kind of tried to cover the entirety of the direct market at Valiant uh, and service everybody, but but when you ran the numbers, it was a, a small handful of, of of stores that really drove the majority of your units and and by virtue of your profits, and that was part of why you're trying to rethink or reshape how you approach. Bad, bad idea, um, but but with that, like I know that that again, like but one thing that's different is that you still are standing to this. Like we're about issues and we're about the direct to market. And and you'd said Dinesh at the beginning, 
Mm-hmm. Um, like if if you could, because you you're in this strange position, or envious position, where you're like, we could do whatever we want. Like if we could start over, how would we do it? And you've chosen this path. But I, I guess one of the questions a lot of us have is that you know we're all in our in our 40s and 50s. We kind of came up like you all did. The 80s was this golden era uh, into the 90s, and and yet like we we have lived through the entirety of the direct market. Now some would question if you could do it over again, would you do it with a direct market? Obviously, you're taking a different tack. You're taking it as the direct market is something we need to cultivate and protect. And there's there's probably uh, there's probably a spectrum of viewpoints out there whether that's the right approach or the wrong approach. But I guess my 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 question is, as you were looking to figure out who would make the right partners for you, I understand there's this set of terms that people had to agree to, but let's say knock on wood, these titles are are, are well received, well you know critically reviewed. People like us tout them and review them and say they're great. Um, do you envision a, a future where you could have 500 stores that sell a bad idea, a thousand stores? I mean, I don't know how many outlets you view globally. I, I think we always say there's between 1500 and 2000 stores in North America. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so let's say there's 3000 global. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you have tighter numbers than that. We're kind of, you know, we don't have, we're not privy to the diamond numbers, but, but what do you like? Is there a, is there a, 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 theoretical cutoff where it kind of becomes just you just become just another publisher because everybody wants your books and they're like yeah we'll we'll abide by your rules cool like if everyone were willing to abide by the bad idea rules that hunter you know hinted at would you be open to a thousand or two thousand stores being outlets for you absolutely we have went on the business saying no we've said no to to no stores every store that's asked and agreed to the rules is part of the program that meets different Yep. Yeah, yep. that meets the criteria. And the rules are designed to weed out anyone that is not serious about this. So I think that no matter what store it was, no matter what the, how they treat Marvel, DC, Dark Horse, Image, Valiant, if they're abiding by the rules, they're stepping up in a really big way with us. And we are there for them. So we'd love to get to 500 or 1,000 if they're abiding by the rules. That would be wonderful. I'm not sure it will happen. Hopefully we'll get to that size and we'll be a, a force to be reckoned with. But yeah, absolutely. We'd we'd be there for it. And like part of the part of the initial twenty stores conversation wasn't trying to in, intentionally limit the scope of stores per se. That was a how many stores can Hunter fulfill from a storage unit? Yes. <laughs> Rather than uh, how many how many of these how how can we limit the supply of ENIAC number one question? So we fortunately solved a lot of those problems, but it really is like a scaling thing. If you take, because like, look, and none of this is none of this is about like, you know, screw Diamond or screw the direct market or any of that stuff. We actually think Diamond is probably intrinsic Diamond, intrinsically one of the most important institutions that keeps the direct market going. None of this would be possible, probably, in my opinion, without Diamond. But um, we just wanted to do this crazy thing on the side and see if we could do it ourselves. And so, a lot of these problems are you know self-imposed distribution stuff that we've been working through ourselves if that makes sense i would also say there's a spectrum of agendas in terms of the direct market i think that if you talk to industry people about what's really going on they will all tell you we're incredibly lucky it's and just follow the actions right every publisher with the exception of dc's ridiculous rumors right now that they may follow through on has not just supported but enhanced the direct market since its creation 
And the numbers that are reported are a fraction of the reality of the picture. Digital is wonderful. Trades are wonderful. But the direct market is the not just for speaking terms. It is the lifeblood of our industry. It's why, as far as ink on paper goes, comics are the only medium to continue to not just survive but flourish. We've got anywhere between 1,500 and 2,000 mom-and-pop stores in North America who love comics so much they've made a horrible business and life decision to run a comic book store. It, is no, it looks like no fun at all. And what they're doing is they're spending every day of their life with this art form, and they're converting new people. It's a wonderful thing. Every other entertainment industry should be – and I think they are jealous of it. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean like – go ahead, Warren. Sorry. Yeah, I, I think it is very much the spine of, 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 of what we do. I mean, having 1,500, 2,000 retailers out there month in, month out who are buying books and helping promote creators and helping draw new fans in, uh, uh, it, it's extraordinarily valuable. And I think it's insulated us remarkably uh, against some of the things that have plagued the newspaper and magazine industries. I mean, those industries have been absolutely leveled by the shift from, from print to digital. Uh, you know, some of the great magazines that we grew up with as kids have now become, uh, uh, have sold for, you know, minimal amounts of money and become listicle sites. So the fact that this still pumps so much revenue into, uh, uh, into the market and allows us, allows so many creators, uh, who are obviously incredibly talented and have, have obviously explored non-traditional ways. So it's not one thing altogether, but I think it's, enormously valuable to us as a medium. I think it's invaluable. No, I mean, the, the question I would put to everyone on this call is like, you know, good comic book store or bad comic book store. And I'm sure both of us, all of us have had experiences with places that we would lump into either category. Your, what are your earliest, your earliest or your current memories of reading comics are probably closely associated with one or a handful of retail comic shops, right? And even if you've transitioned to buying online or ordering from DCBS or whatever it is, you probably have some comic book store that shaped your perception of what the medium is down to the point where we don't say things like, oh, I'm going to go buy comics today. Almost everyone says, I'm going to go to the comic book store because you identify with like a specific retail location just as much as you do with like going to look for comics. And that's like, that may seem like a, a weird linguistic syntax thing, but I think it speaks to a really powerful thing about the entire way that our medium operates and is structured. So comic book stores to me are like, you know, they are the lifeblood of um, what keeps our fandom. Although I, I, I always, uh, I've never loved the term fandom, but uh, it's what keeps our, our fandom going and healthy and, and lively at a time when, as Warren pointed out, other forms of entertainment in this vein fiction or non-fiction alike have stagnated to a great degree. Yeah. You guys have said a lot there and, and, and this is something that's near and dear to my heart, but I, I, in terms of kind of trying to figure out all these factors, I, I will say that, that, and, and you and, you know, Vince alluded to it too, a bit with the vinyl, but, but there is, there is this, this undeniable persistent secular trend though, that underlies the current direct market, right? Which is nostalgia. and, and and while you are absolutely correct that the comics market has persevered through a digital revolution far better than other industries, um, but there are reasons for that, right? Like there's a reason why Hasbro's stock is at an all-time high, even though nobody buys toys anymore. It's because they went to a Hasbro Pulse model, 
where they get people like me and a bunch of our listeners to spend $30 for an action figure because it's going to sit on our shelf, right? And, and like power to them because the alternative was steadily declining sales because kids don't want toys anymore. Um, and I think similarly, the comics industry, I mean, we've been doing this podcast for almost 13 years and we've seen it firsthand. I mean, um, you know, prices go up. Um, the core audience keeps the industry afloat. And, and you've acknowledged that. Like there's this core base of, I don't know how many we can speculate, whether it's 50,000 or 100,000 or whatever, core hardcore readers. And yes, we always add some more each year, but like the hardcore people were willing to spend premiums to keep the industry and the art form alive. Um, and that's great. But like, it also is, it's, it, it has with it its own set of challenges, right? Like, like in the sense that, that, that ultimately for a medium or an art form to persist, I think it, you'd want more and more eyes to get on it. So I'm, what I'm wondering with you guys is, and maybe you have some experience with this at Valiant as well. It has been a longstanding postulate for us that when we talk about digital and its impact on the, on the comics, we vastly, vastly underestimate how many people pirate comics and read them religiously because, and I would point to the fact that we're before COVID, like, like many, we were active con goers and would have meetups with our listeners and, and, and spend tons of time at our Sally. And, you know, we were at a point before COVID where there were, I think at least 25 shows in the U S alone that had more than 50,000 people daily show up to a convention. And then an innumerable number of other cons that would pull 20, 30,000 fans and yet those numbers don't work, right? If you if you look at the diamond numbers. So so how do you But that view... but that way lies madness. Yeah, cool. That way no, lies ahead, madness. Please. That's that's a mm-hmm. that's a, a common thing. I'm gonna come back to that one thing because I want to tackle one thing that you said earlier that's yeah. connected to this, mm-hmm. which is the idea that there that the direct market is driven by nostalgia. Because and I think it's at the crux of what will either kill or or make bad idea work, which okay. is that we believe that the direct market is built on two things. Mm-hmm. New, new, newness. And nostalgia. And I think there's an 80-20 rule there where, as we were talking about before, if there's 2,000 stores in North America and 250 of those stores can support something like Bad Idea and the rest are Marvel, then the rest are nostalgia-driven. But those 250 stores are the ones that are building books like Something's Killing the Children and Die and Department of Truth. And even at Marvel, characters like Black Winter and Null, which are new creations – even if they're based on on the foundation of an existing mythology, and I think we'll build something like Bad Idea. And that's where speculation, with a pinch of speculation, I should say, is valuable because every one of those books has just enough speculation to break through the noise and get people to pick up the issue and read it and then fall in love with it and want to continue on that journey. And anyone that picks up anything after issue one, it's not speculation. And all those books have a tremendous readership in, the, in that space. And digital, absolutely. There is probably millions, especially overseas, of people that don't have access to stores that are part of these books. But I don't know that there's any way to solve that. I don't think Mm -hmm. those are readers that will ever pay. I think we have unfortunately trained them not to. And moving them over is just going to cost our business that we love, our industry, way too much. The Mm -hmm. better thing to do is let them continue to consume because they do pay for the video games and the action figures and the movies and the convention ticket prices, and the back issues when they collect CGC books. And that filters back into our business, and we continue to grow that core that has access to monthly comic books and can develop the readership, um, let's call it addiction. But I wouldn't chase that other group. And I said okay. even for Marvel. For us, yeah. certainly, we don't have the resources, but even for Marvel, I think there's a reason 
if they could convert them, they would. That's a that's the that's the ocean of fandom. I just think we've trained them otherwise. You know what? I that, agree. Okay. I agree with everything Dinesh said. Just mm-hmm. just to to drill into it a bit deeper. I mean, I look at the diamond charts, which are not 100 percent reflective of everything that's out there, and I say they're actually still doing tremendous business and keeping Marvel extremely profitable when every other channel for single issue periodical comics outside of the direct market that used to supplement it is almost entirely gone. And just like he said about every other segment of ancillary, you know, conventions, licensing, film, TV, video games around comics thriving. That's what I see when I, you know, we have a lot of, common wisdom in comics that doesn't get interrogated very much and one of the things is like well if iron man if if the last avengers movie just made a billion dollars how come there's not one million people reading iron man and the truth is is that um it's not a one-to-one proposition no one's walking out of the out of the movie theater and, and heading to the nearest comic book store that is true but awareness and affection and personal identification with the character of iron man is probably never been higher, right? And it's fueled success across all of these other categories that aren't core direct comic book publishing and keeping all of that character's, you know, previous appearances in print and fueling all sorts of other publishing related stuff. So to me, it is on paper, it actually is all very successful and lines up and makes sense if you take a broader look at it. But, but, but they will come. They will come to comics. They will come occasionally. They'll come to read Civil War and trade, or they'll come to read a big launch or an event. In the same way, sports is a good analogy for this. In the same way that there's a ocean of fans that will go to a sports bar or at home and watch the game, but they won't go to every game in the stadium. And if the stadium said to themselves, we've got to get these millions of people to come and buy a ticket every week at a different price proposition, I think they'd lose their, their shirts. So we should look at it in a similar fashion. With the biggest stories and the, and the easiest entry points, they will come. But for the most part, we should be very content that Greg Rucker's got a movie on, on Netflix that's done very well and put some money in his pocket and allowed him to now tell the creator on book that maybe wasn't the most commercial idea that might become the biggest book in next year because he's got that insulin money from the people that are reading his work illegally. It, I, I appreciate the, the candor. I, I, just to be clear – uh, Dinesh, I, I I came to a similar conclusion that you did relative to the piracy some time ago, which is that um, you can't put the genie back in the bottle as much as you'd like to. You can't go back in time. And comics suffer even worse than other medium like movies and music. Now, in the U.S., it's not really much of a challenge because of high high bandwidth. But in a lot of, as you said, outside the U.S. where there are bandwidth constraints, comics are much lower bandwidth it's much easier to pirate them, right? I mean, it's 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 just very easy to do. And when, when it's easy to do something, people will end up doing it. But I appreciate what you guys are saying. So let me let me ask you this then. Like in terms of it's been very clear, and I love this the notion that you're like, we're okay with selling. We have built our business in a model that we don't need to be at the top of the diamond charts. Like we're okay. We If we are, great, but we're okay with not being. So I, and again, maybe these are unrelated, but, but Dinesh, obviously you guys are, I, I, you're involved with, I think it's Hive Mind is the name, right? Um, and then I know Hunter, uh, I know you have, like, you also on LinkedIn, it says you're associated with All Nighter Pictures. I'm not sure what that is, but I assume it's like either something to do with Hive Mind or. Hunter, Hunter and I, I can clarify. Hunter and I are both partners. We both started a company called Hive Mind. Okay. It uh, produced The Witcher. The Witcher became a bananas giant yeah, show. Yeah, for sure. And a cottage industry, and Hive Mind is now The Witcher Company. And so we've created a sister company called All Nighter. 
Okay. And that's doing everything else we're doing, like Gideon Falls, awesome. and Justin uh, Jordan's Luther Strode, et cetera. Okay, cool. So, 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 but my question is, is part of the way you envision this, because we made the analogy to, to Marvel and DC and how they monetize with other things, is, is part of this that over time, some of these ideas can or will be used in ancillary ways, toys, licensing, movies, TV? Is, is that a intentional part of the model or, or is that not really you know is that is that is that is that adjunct to all of this it's it's an it's a reality of the business today anything that gets put in comic book form has the the entire hollywood eye set on it uh if you take a look at sleigh bells i think you will see that we do not only think of film and tv because no one's making that into a movie or television show or a toy or a video game that's the most nonsense uncommercial bananas idea that i think anyone will publish next year uh, Santa Claus as a as a stone cold murderer is an interesting proposition. If you want to uh, go to Tinseltown, but of course we we anticipate there will be some interest if we, if we do good books. Is it all nighter or hive mind? It really depends on on how things go. Probably not. They are separate companies. They, there's an arm's length relationship. Hunter and I would have to recuse ourselves from those kinds of decisions to be up to Warren and the people that we partner with at All Nighter. Um, but overall, I think that if we have any luck, some of that stuff will come. We certainly have a lot of relationships in that world that will make it a little easier for it to happen. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Okay, cool. Um, so one thing that that clearly, I mean, we're talking about that idea. Your website says bad idea begins in 2021. Um, talk to us about what the pandemic meant for you all in terms of um, I think one thing that I, I, I appreciated about you all when you were talking about that idea before the pandemic is you said, listen, we are really in a fortunate position. We're going to take our time. It's going to be slow, may even be painfully slow for some of you that want to see the stuff, but patience. And we're going to do this deliberately and with intention and purpose. And in a way, the pandemic kind of forced everybody to rethink their plans, not the least of which was extend timelines. But has the pandemic materially changed either your approach or your perspective obviously changed the timeline but beyond the timeline did it inform that idea in other meaningful ways sure it it gave us the time to one of the things we did is we we doubled our production you know a lot of publishers had uh, pencils down mentality until they figured out what was going to happen with the stores and we were very happy to keep building and so we we were able to bring in more talent we were able to spend more time building the books, making them better. We will spend more time building our marketing plans, our POP, our point of purchase. We'll spend more time building our social campaigns. We, uh, we got infiltrated by this uh, ridiculous entity called The Button, which was essentially just a, a digital campaign where we forced our, our fans to click a big red button a billion times before we would uh, announce our new release date. So for us, it, it allowed us to, to have more time and the most valuable resource to good creative is time so in that regard it was was good it was a helpful thing and but I mean, the industry's yeah. changed quite a bit diamond and dc etc so we've had to certainly change and as we've grown our store count that's as hunters mentioned we've had to rebuild our distribution program three maybe four times at this point no i mean it validated you know it, it, i think it wound up validating a lot of what a lot of the principles were that we had that we had made as assumptions going into bad idea we got to see a lot of other publishers toy with them in practice as the pandemic introduced a lot of uncertainty into the marketplace and it kind of showed people what their fundamentals were and what the kind of stuff that was really important and like 
you know, we got to see um, DC experiment with alternate distribution. We saw a lot of other publishers reduce size of their line and put more emphasis on uh, their editorial and, and working on an individual level with retailers and, and trying to just refine their core strengths of their business down in a lot of different ways. And I think a lot of that stuff hasn't been, hasn't been a hundred percent successful for everyone, but I think everything that we've observed, all the assumptions that we had made in this kind of test kitchen, that is bad idea. We have seen borne out over the course of the pandemic. I think the one thing that is a, is a surprise and a welcome one is the extent to which uh, the industry and retailers specifically have have come out of this um, in a very good place. And obviously, everyone has been through a lot of hardship. It's been an incredibly disruptive, disorienting year. But comic book stores, by and large, and there's obvious exceptions to that rule, but by and large, appear to have come out of this very, very, very strong, which I don't think any of us would have guessed in January or February. Yeah, yeah and it's, it's, it's been wonderful to lean in and to, to really, you know, right away – you know, uh, 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 we we have enormous, as you can tell from the conversation that we're having, we have an enormous amount of faith in the direct market. We have an enormous amount of faith in the retailers. And we just knew that, you know, right away, this presented us with an opportunity to lean into that. So we just doubled down production right away. I mean, the number of books we were working on doubled, the number of stories that we were building doubled, the number of artists that we recruited doubled. So we really leaned into it and it gave us an opportunity to, you know, ramp up uh, uh, the number of books that we have in production. So that's uh, been a wonderful thing. And as Dinesh noted so eloquently, uh, time is the great enemy uh, of any of any creative endeavor. Uh, <laughs> the challenge of building a 22-page book in 28 days, which is how most companies operate, is exceedingly high. Uh, so having the opportunity to sit back, take a look at something, reevaluate it, reread it, work with the creator, go and get touch-ups, stuff like that, it's been a, a boon. As far as uh, I think what the quality of the books are. So if people don't like ENIAC, we have no excuses. Zero. <laughs> well, having read it, I think we're, we're, we're quite confident they will like it. I mean, that's, awesome. that's no question. That's yeah, nice. I think the quality, I mean, I mean, you know, we've been talking a lot about the business model. Let's not let lose sight of the fact that the quality of the books is, is, is certainly very high caliber at the start. I mean, oh, you definitely get that. I, you know, I don't, we weren't sure if we were allowed, how much we were allowed to talk about the, the, the meat of the books, since they're obviously still some months away. Um, but, but certainly no, go, for was, it. Go, yeah. go for it. Go for it, please. Um, It'll just help people get excited. Hopefully. Sure. So, 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 well, I mean, let's, let's, I, I, I should have this written down, but I know the, the, the books are all coming out next year, but they're coming out stage, right? So what is, is any act the first one coming out? Yeah, ENIAC is the first book, which will be out the first, I believe, on March 3rd, 2021. And then there'll be two books every month thereafter. So April will be Tankers 2, uh, I'm sorry, Tankers 1 and ENIAC 2, and then Walesville following that. Uh, th- my my main issue with Walesville right now is that you've already said no collected editions, and I, like, I'm going to demand a limited edition hardcover slip cased uh, like bondus and a version of that when it's when it's at some point in time well we haven't we haven't announced the original package that'll come in you may get your wish oh okay all right very nice very nice um yeah so, so i mean uh eniac is kenton braithwaite and uh diego rodriguez on colors and i think la rosa is doing the covers yeah is that right yes yeah. right right so that's pretty cool. Like the concept again, because uh, we'll, we'll we'll try and keep it relatively generic. Is is uh, I'm sure many people recognize the name ENIAC as 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 uh, arguably the first supercomputer, maybe inarguably, but the first supercomputer in real life in real history. 
And this is a bit of an alternate uh, view of that, right? Like, what, what, what if NEX gained self-awareness uh, far faster than we realized and started making decisions that had uh, impact on the world and humanity? And, uh, and then we flash forward to, um, what, 70-plus years? Like, uh, yeah, for, for, for us, the big, the big key moment is that during World War II, we dropped – we as, a, as humanity dropped the bomb in Hiroshima, and three days later, a bomb was dropped on Nagasaki – and it was ENIAC that had gained awareness and, and done the math and said one wasn't going to be enough to end the war. I took the liberty of dropping a second. And so inadvertently, the Allies had built uh, an enemy that they now had to fight over the next up until present day. And so our story is about, is about tracking down ENIAC and killing it before it launches all the nukes and annihilates humanity. That felt like a delicious kind of uh, alternate reality for us to tackle. Yeah, I, I, I was immediately hooked. I, like I said, I mean, it, it actually brought me back to, uh, again, as a kid of the 80s, you know, war games. Uh, right. <laughs> can we play a game? Yeah, right? well, if you're, if you're older, you, you get a Colossus, the Foreman Project vibe from it. Amazing. Reference. No idea what that is, so I must not be old enough. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I know what that is. <laughs> well, I'm 55, so you wouldn't have got that. Yeah. That's true, old and busted. <laughs> um, well, Vince, why don't you talk about Tankers for a bit? Because I know that was the one that spoke to you the most. Oh, man, I loved it so much. And um, it, it's written by, uh, let me get my notes here so I don't screw up, uh, Robert Venditti, which is awesome, right? I love yeah. his nickname in the credits, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm a huge fan of uh, Juan Rip. I mean, disturbing, delicious amounts of detail in this man's uh, artwork. Um, and Warren edited it. So there you go. It's, it's just a killer creative team. Uh, basically, the, um, the world's running out of oil. What do we do? All this stuff that drives everything is dwindling, and the, the demand is rising. So we need to do something. And they get a, uh, a hotshot big brain, Dr. Uh, Emerson Leslie, to do some time manipulation to go back to the the uh, the incident where the um, the comet destroyed the dinosaurs, um, they just kind of nudge it off its course with a particle beam. Brilliant, right? And they come back to the present, but <laughs> uh oh, shit has changed and hit the fan. And honestly, I didn't see that coming. Really, right? Um, but <laughs> I I got a very very strong Ripley and the power loader vibe, like you bitch whacking at the dinosaurs. In the in the case of Ripley, the the alien queen. But it's it, I thought it was just kinetic and very violent uh, with giant massive kaiju dinosaurs it, it it spoke to to all of my loves under one cover uh but and i'm thinking as i'm reading it man this is like a sci-fi uh channel movie only with really really good special effects that's the basic that's how i can put it it has a great hook to it but the visuals complement the hook entirely with with rip on the art it's like whoa so beautiful we got to take you on the road that was wonderful, that was wonderful. <laughs> rob, well i'm available my friends rob who launched exo for us back in in 2012 and then uh, uh handled you know three or four big events big books for us book of death uh, uh, it launched Eternal Warrior book for us. Launched uh, uh, a bunch of other stuff along the way. Uh, just really, uh, I think when he sent me the script, I wrote him back and I said, "I think this is my favorite thing you've ever written." So, I think it's a real, uh, uh, wonderful, wonderful story here. And and Rip just came in and 
he's got such a beautiful line. He's got such attention to level of detail in his work. Uh, uh, he's he's just he's wonderful with with violent kinetic action. Yeah. So uh, uh, this is just a, a, a hell of a book. I'm glad that you liked it. We were really excited about this one. This one's a lot of fun. It's got a real kind of. Uh, big action set piece tongue-in-cheek kind of uh, approach to it so uh, uh i'm real happy with how this one's turning out so far yeah and, and there, 300 million dollar budget right like but there, there's a face to it too which is great it's just not a bunch of grunts going out and blowing up dinosaurs we get yeah. we're introduced to this entire team which is um it, you want to get me invested in the story Put a uh, give me some emotion. Put some faces uh, to these 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 people, and let me know what their you know their motivations. And it, it, I thought it was really great. I'm, they, they, I, you know, bull, no bullshit. It was great. They, they they weren't clones of each other. They weren't they weren't grunts, just mm-hmm. soldiers towing the line. They all like, even even the few pages we get to get to know each of them. Like you know when they're all getting together having a meal and. And of course, Diesel brings up, you know, she, she she's not keen on on eating meat because she, she's thinking about, you know, what they do with veal. And, and it's like, so, so you're actually getting, even though we're only meeting them over a handful of pages, the, the, the each, I can, you know, I, I know what type of person Goldfarb is after a couple of panels. I know, you know, Reigns is, he, he's not necessarily someone I'd probably want to hang out with, but at least I get his motivation and, and, and things just fall into place. Venditti did I mean the art is fantastic, but Venditti did a great job of making me care about the characters, the setting, and and seeing where it goes from here. That 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 cliffhanger at the end, I'm like, I I I gotta find out what I need the second <laughs> issue. This yeah. is wonderful guys. We haven't really shared the books with anyone outside of the very, very small group of people that are making them. And so we haven't had a chance to talk to anybody. We, we don't know if we're making garbage or not. It's so wonderful to hear you guys responding the way that we responded. And, uh, and I can't wait for you guys to read the, the second and third issue. You're going to cry. No joke. Oh, okay. All the oh, things boy. you're talking about just ramp up the emotionality, the characterization, even the kind of over-the-topness, but in the best way. Rob and, nice. and Juan have done such a good job with this book. Nice. Uh, if I may, can I just hmm? reveal the incident with the steel saw? Please. Yes. Uh, <laughs> There's a a soldier that cuts his way out of a dinosaur from within, and it's a full page yeah. splash, and you get a little. I won't reveal the, the little tagline that goes along with it, but just <laughs> a dinosaur being split from stem to stern, from the inside out by this this war this war suit. It's like a war mech, right? And it's it's yeah. just wonderful. I, I as an illustrator, I look at that page and I'm like. Wow, how long <laughs> did that take Juan to, to 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 not only to to plan out, but to just go in there and just lovingly apply his magic to every line? It's like, oh, and this is not even in color. We saw a black and white preview. Yeah, the, true. the mind boggles what this is going to look like once color is applied. It, I always thought it must be the the most fun part, Warren, of being an editor is the getting the pages in right like and seeing it unfold literally before any of the rest of us ever get a chance to right it is, it is it's absolutely wonderful uh uh it's great and wait until you see what happens to gold farm in issue two it's, uh, <laughs> nice. it's, rob's, it's really rob's masterpiece it's really it's all downhill after here because uh <laughs> he's he's just he's got such love for these characters in this book i think that uh when we were when we were talking about the first issue he was just cackling like a madman so I think that uh, this really is uh, uh, just Rob at, at, at just his absolute best. It's wonderful, and 
and Rip's work is just magical, as you guys were noting. Uh, uh, Juan is just one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. Uh, uh, an incredibly talented uh, person. I won't tell you how fast he is, because if I told you how fast he is with that level of detail, you you guys, you would cry, because he's and, just yeah. so talented and, and, and such a such a good artist. But, uh, yeah, we're really, as, as Dinesh noted, we haven't really talked to anyone about these yet. So it's wonderful to hear uh, uh, your guys' reaction to this, certainly. He's, he's very, for all other publishers, he's very slow. It's, it's, it's untenable. He's been working at this for years at this point, like 15, 20 years. So <laughs> right. everyone well, stay away. Yep. <laughs> I mean, if we're if we're going to gush about the art, I, I, I again, I'll, as I've already kind of said, I, for me, Walesville just like hit me right there in the sweet spot. And 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 Polina, you know, um, I, I if people go to your your website, uh, badideacorp.com, you can see an image of of Walesville. And and the thing about that is, first of all, two things strike me: one, this gigantic visage of the whale takes up about three quarters, maybe, maybe seven eighths of the, of the, of the shot is, you know, the, the cross hatching and the detail mm-hmm. incredible. But then, and what I, I hope isn't lost on people is the, the boy who's in a, a rowboat and is looking at the whale, there's these waves, but those waves aren't just waves. Like those are almost like a meticulous recreation of like the great wave of Kanagawa paint. Yeah, like it's exactly. right. And like, yeah. And that's an like that is an incredibly difficult thing to pull off. And yet and yet he did it. And it's probably going to be lost on most people is just, oh, that's a really well drawn wave. And it's like, <laughs> you know, you I think uh, I don't remember if it was Warren or Dinesh. But when you were talking about the book earlier, you said it was a bit like Miyazaki. And I agree. And I tried to explain this to uh, some some friends of ours who who knew that we got a chance to see them without giving spoilers. And I said to me, Walesville is like if you took Miyazaki and you told him you had to write a one a one stage one set screenplay, oh, like wow. right? Because cool. that's what it is, right? Like yeah. it's this really adventurous, whimsical, fantastical, doesn't follow the laws of nature that we know them to be world, a la Miyazaki. But ultimately, at least in the first issue, it's just taking place in a relatively confined quarters of this whale's insides, right? Um, but I just thought it was magical, you know, I really did, and and and. Um, you can sometimes when you're playing with those elements, it can like it could be tricky. Like I wouldn't have been surprised knowing the solicit, um, but but if I maybe wasn't as familiar with Matt as a writer, if this was going to be a little bit more kid centric and almost Disney esque, right? But it's mm-hmm. not that at all, you know, because you, you hear this idea of like there's a crab uh, and he talks, and there's a there's an anglerfish and there's a sea dragon and then there's the boy. But it 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 but it was it 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 felt more mature and not mature in like a there's going to be blood and guts but I just mean it felt like like something that that um, I think kids would enjoy if you read it with them but but ultimately I think the heart and the emotional resonance of the book and what I think they're going to be faced with in subsequent issues based on the climax of of the first issue uh, is like a is full of like a very raw emotional. Uh, stuff that that I think only the you know with some time and some age you really would appreciate. So yeah, I mean masterful stuff. And and again, I mean I, I'm I'm an unapologetic Matt Kin fan, but uh, but I was really I but I think for me the the star of this book was Polina because I'll read anything and I do read anything that Matt does. But I really thought Polina put me on my ass when it came to the visuals. I was like, wow, okay, all right, like you're you're you are ready to play. Like so, this is this is the brilliance of uh, of what we've been able to accomplish in in COVID 
is that Polina, this is a one-issue oversized story, but, but no, don't fret, it's part of a series that we're going to be doing. Uh, but Polina has a, a whole other book in the vein of ENIAC that is basically done that is as good as this book, if not better, in terms of the art. Um, so you're going to get a lot of Polina coming out of Bad Idea. And you're talking to, in terms of the, the tone, you're talking to three guys that have kids that are in the right zone for this kind of story. And for us, it very much is that kind of grim, not grim fairy tale, but, but the, the fairy, unabridged fairy tales, or even the, the earlier Disney films, Bambi and um, Snow White, where they take you to a place that maybe today we say uh, we should protect kids from, but maybe there's a value to them as well. We try and, we're trying to do that with this line. Right, right. Yeah, if, can yeah, I add sure. something before you move yeah, on, Jason? Yeah. No, I think um, conceptually, um, Walesville is a good um, encapsulation of the bad idea mission statement, right? Because if you're happy with the status quo, uh, as the creatures within the whale are, except for way, um, you know, everything works, everything's fine. You don't want to branch out. You don't want to break the boundaries and stuff. But if you perceive that there's something more out there and you reach for it, look what happens, right? It just opens up and there's a whole new reality right outside your reach. Right. I just think it's a, it was a wonderful right. book. Yeah. That's wonderful. And I'd, I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't compliment my friend Adam Polina, who is at this point in time, He's sort of achieving that level of mastery. He's like a grandmaster. I mean, Adam's been doing this since the 90s when he was working at Marvel on, on yeah. X-Force and stuff like that. And his style has matured oh, and changed yeah. mm-hmm. so dramatically over the years. And the pages he's sending in, there's that one page where the whale swallows way up and you're looking at his tongue. And, like, the kid's sitting on his tongue and the way Adam cropped it. And then the panel before that is way getting knocked out of the boat. And he just draws this tiny little thing in the air. And it's just... You know, Adam's just operating at this level right now where where you see artists get to where there's just it seems like there's no script that I can't put in front of Adam that he won't just absolutely positively knock out of the park. Uh, and as I mentioned, we've got as Dinesh mentioned, we've got one other thing coming that that's done. That's uh, just as beautiful as this. He's just really operating at uh, uh, the top of his game. It's, it's remarkable stuff. But, uh, you know, if you're another publisher, again, very slow. Very, very slow. <laughs> well, listen, as, uh, as 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 a you know, as as a, as brothers of the original art craze, if if you gentlemen, if Adam needs to unload any Whalesville pages into good quality hands, or oh, he wants boy. to dust off and 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 has any choice Domino pages from his X Force days, <laughs> I, I know a guy. I'm go. just saying, I know a guy. He's, hey, listen, he's on he's on Twitter, man. You've got the inside scoop. You've seen I'm the book reach now. Out. I have to do that. Um, and then the, the, there's two books that you've announced that we unfortunately didn't get a chance to, to preview um, for shame. No, just kidding. Um, the one is uh, the first is The Lot by Marguerite Bennett, who I'm a massive fan of her writing, and Renato Geddes, uh, who I think does all, the whole shebang, right? Art colors, everything. Um, and, and just based on the solicit, it's, it looks to me like it's a, uh, a found footage film brought to comics, which. I know Vince, Vince and I in particular uh, are fans of the found footage when done right. Um, it, do I have that right? And, uh, and what do it's, we expect from that? It's got a component of that. The, 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 okay. the core concept is, is essentially you have a, a Stanley Kubrick meticulous, insane director for authenticity. And he's shooting a film. He's shot a film in the 60s, and, the, and it's a horror film, and he brought a real cult a real occult cult in to perform a ritual. <laughs> and no one believed in this stuff, but this cult – conjured something and it went horribly wrong and there was blood and mayhem 
and the studio covered it up and they shut this stage, the sound stage away, and it's been it's been shut for decades. And our story starts where a new studio head is taking over and looking at the books and saying, Why are we spending all this money on this derelict stage? And by the way, it's in the most valuable part of town. We could make a fortune with this thing, and she opens it up, and of course, this thing is released. So in that way, it's a haunted house story, except in, rather than it being a traditional house, it's a, it's a studio backlot. And so we get to play with a lot of the haunted components of Hollywood and, and that whole culture and, and what artistry means and what it means to commoditize and commercialize artistry. Uh, and Margaret Bennett is just such a incredible incredible writer but also incredibly knowledgeable about horror that she has written something incredible I'm very excited about this one awesome and and then the last one which i would say is uh all, all little little kidding um further idea that you guys really are willing to to take a bad idea and run with it um you're putting out a christmas book in july <laughs> which which i find uh, i find it kind of hilarious and I, I'm not sure if it was by design, like Christmas in July, or just a, a COVID thing. But the last <laughs> one is Sleigh Bells, uh, written by Zeb Wells, with art by David LaFuente, who I'm a, a massive fan of, uh, and colors by uh, Ulysses Ariola. But uh, is is the July thing, again, like a bad idea, tongue-in-cheek? Like, you guys seem to be sort of like he, he, bathing, bathing Warren, yourselves in the uh, tongue-in-cheek. Warren loves this book, and I hate this book. And I will do everything I can to kill this book <laughs> and kill Warren's cold heart. <laughs> No, 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 no! This is Hunter and Warren's thing. This is uh, this is one of our uh, my favorites. Uh, uh, a hunter heads out on Christmas morning with his son, uh, and accidentally uh, kills the reindeer. Kills one of the reindeer. There's a big problem, uh, uh, and then Santa heads. The, sh- the police show up, and Santa says, uh, "I believe if I'm paraphrasing here, he says, uh, please, can you get me to the nearest veterinarian?'" And uh, it doesn't go well. The cops made Santa, and then we uh, Santa sort of turns his attention to the town and uh, destroys the town. And it's uh, written by uh, one of my old pals, Zeb Wells, who's uh, one of the funniest writers I've ever worked with. Zeb wrote a bunch of stuff for me when I was at Marvel, uh, including a Doc Ock Spider-Man story, which is criminally underrated, uh, and a couple of Daredevil things. So uh, he really did a beautiful, beautiful job with this one. And David LaFuente is just absolutely positively knocked out of the park here. David is a genius. Uh, his style is uh, uh, just absolutely remarkable and fluid and modern. And uh, it was really, uh, uh, it's turned out well so far, I think. So despite Dinesh's wishes, this one will work. You Wonderful. don't turn Santa it's, into a Rambo story, Warren. You just don't. It's, it's wonderful. It's fantastic. Zeb Gilded. So uh, I'm excited for this one. And yes, doing it in July. We could not resist the opportunity to send people into comic book stores in Christmas sweaters and put out bad idea official recipes for eggnog margaritas <laughs> and all of the absurd things that we were going to do. So um, best time to make some noise about Christmas. What better time than, than, than the Wednesday after Fourth of July weekend? That's what I say. Yeah, and, and also, you know how every year it's like late November and you see the Christmas lights going up and they're playing like music and you're like, already. Well, you know, it's early, but uh, this year, uh, because it's been such a difficult 2020, we would move that process up to uh, July and get started then. So, you know, we're ready. That's fantastic. Well, I, I, David and I are of like mine. We, we cannot, we're both people that start playing Christmas music uh, at an inordinately early time, much to Vince's <laughs> yeah. dismay, because Vince yeah. is a bar humbug. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have three, I have three sons and our two, our two teenage sons absolutely like, protest like it's like 
fighting against Vietnam in the 70s, if my wife and I start playing Christmas music before Thanksgiving, and we started, I think, two weeks before Halloween this year, because hey, it's it's a yeah. COVID year. You gotta yeah. you gotta you gotta get your joy where you can. So they they are absolute. Unfortunately, I feel like we're 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 uh, brainwashing them into when they're adults and have the heads of their own households are gonna just like disavow Christmas traditional classic tunes though because we're just inundating with them but that's that's life man you gotta gotta live it i don't know this book is for you guys if you want to see santa claus dismembering a swat team in close quarters then maybe i don't know (laughs) he's a supernatural being dinesh it's true Uh, that's true if morrison can can make him into a a god in in claws then you guys can you guys can make him into an action hero why not right (laughs) um so so here's so we've talked a lot about the model, but but how when these books hit next April and and subsequent months, how how is the average listener that uh, listens to us going to get them? And, and let me just and I'll just throw this out there. Um, and Hunter, I'm sure you know this. Um, you know we have long for a long well forever really been sponsored by Discount Comic Book Service. And full disclosure, I you know I, I live in the suburbs of New Jersey, work in Manhattan. Well, worked I should say worked. Jeez, it's it's been since March, but theoretically work in Manhattan. Very very busy job though don't have the time generally to get to a shop so for the better part of a decade i have used mail order comic book services for for that reason because of convenience and to get the volume and the the and to ensure that i'm going to get all the books that i want because obviously i'm a we all all of us are voracious heavy heavy readers that has been my go-to so so the question is twofold one like how is the average listener going to be able to get the books and then two you know, great many of, of, of us, including the three of us as hosts, get at least a portion of our books through a, a mail order service. Um, I know we won't be able to get them day and date, but can you speak at all to how and when or if we'll ever be able to get them outside of, you know, trying to get an LCS to uh, to ship them to us? Sure. Yeah. There's a oh, go on, Hunter. Go on. No, totally. Um, so, yeah, in order to be a a. Uh, bad idea store you do have to have a brick and mortar location that does include several major retailers uh, who do do mail order um right off the top of my head if you're in the new york area there's obviously midtown who will uh undoubtedly be filling some of these by mail order there's also stores like the joker's child out there in new jersey i think every store that is on the bad idea list is expecting uh, or at least hopeful that they're going to see some new faces of people who aren't regular customers who've been brought to their store specifically looking for bad idea stuff. And I think the vast majority of them are uh, looking to, if not eager to, potentially fulfill mail or customers too. So if there's a store that you like or that you've done business with in the past and they happen to be on our list, feel free to give them a call. They're, uh, they're probably expecting it and have already received others. And and in terms of DCBS, Christina, who who runs it, is a is a force of nature. And uh, when we told her that we were brick and mortar, she kind of gave us that look and 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 that that attitude of I will find a way. So I would not put it past her to figure this out in some capacity. Okay, yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, again, I didn't. You mentioned Christina. I mean, she's obviously a, a long term friend and associate of ours, and I know that. Uh, it seemed like she, she certainly and 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 Cameron were 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 big supporters of, of Valiant. So it'd be great oh, if you guys figure out absolutely. a way to 
to work together for sure. Uh, just for you know, for a lot of reasons, but just karmically and also they're I think a great channel. And uh, and and I know some. I know we don't. We're going down a tangent here. I, I know some retailers out there view them as uh, as the enemy. I, I I would I would disagree. But uh, but again, that's no, a conversation for another day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, awesome. And so when. From a, a news cycle, because we've we you've, you've got these books out again, we're super hyped. We do think we definitely give them our, our seal of approval. Awesome. Um, but since you have, you're gonna have roughly two books a month. When will you start that cycle of, of of promoting the next round? Will it be kind of a traditional promotional cycle like we're used to in the comics world of like three four months out? Even though it won't be in previews, it'll be the the same kind of vibe or. I think it's kind of like a hybrid thing, right? So there's like obviously the kind of usual flow of like solicits come out and stuff. And we'll do all of that stuff that you see from a traditional comic book publisher by and large, release preview pages and, and get the books reviewed and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, we are the company that released the hero trade. So we reserve the right at any time to completely to completely upend your week by doing something crazy. So I think um, several times a year, that idea will be... Uh, in your feeds and in your face with some, uh, some crazy stuff in that vein, no doubt. Nice. Nice. Well, I mean, gentlemen, certainly, um, if it wasn't clear before, I hope, you know, you have our support here. We really are excited to see what you make of this. Um, you know, we're, we're big fans of, of smaller press publishers trying to do different things. You know, you guys are doing a very different angle than say a TKO, but I love what they're doing too in their own way. You know, they're trying to do to just, just think of different ways to keep the industry, uh, not only afloat, but also bringing in uh, new eyes and new reasons to be excited. And uh, and I think it's awesome. So whatever we can do to help, we're certainly here for it. And we thank you very much for uh, for coming on. If you guys have anything you want to that we didn't cover, by all means. But you know, otherwise, we'll let you get about your your uh, your business. This was amazing. You guys are you guys are wonderful. Thank you so much for for walking us through your experience with the books. It's been really energizing, guys. And thanks for having us. It was super fun. Yeah, yeah. Kanye, so glad to finally have a chance to chat with you all on the show. It's been a real pleasure. Yeah, right thanks. We appreciate it. Thanks for the kind words about the books. Oh, uh, for sure. And and I have to before you do go though, Dinesh, I have to say you yes. um you, you you are an art collector like 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 uh, like myself and I am. some of us. Um, what is uh what's you were you, you did a cool thing for those that don't follow you. You did a cool thing where you took a lot of your art and you kind of did like a panorama and did a photo shoot of it. And yes. uh, and it had a lot of us, uh, you know, art heads zooming in and trying to see what some of the stuff was. But I'm just curious because it's a question that that I think any art collector gets asked. Um, do you have any? Do you have any? Well, of course you do. What what are what are some grails? Um, and um, would you be willing to trade uh, an in, you know a, a significant portion of your existing collection for those grails? A grail that I don't have. I need no joke. We mentioned it earlier, so this is going to sound like a Michelle, but I was not kidding. I have been trying to find the cover to, to Punisher twenty ninety nine number one for so long. Okay, I would trade almost anything for that thing. It meant a lot to me growing up. Mm-hmm. I remember having it and not wanting to read it because I was so in awe of it, and then reading it and being just even more blown away. I mean, it, I don't know why. It just—it's the brilliance of comics, right? It's the whole experience. Tom and Morgan so that, doesn't have it. This is going to sound crazy. I haven't guys. been able to find it. But I oh, but, uh, no, I, I, I'm, I'm sure he doesn't now. But it, did, have you reached out to Tom Morgan to see if, if maybe oh, he just it. has it? Every, every single person I've ever bought art from, all the big dealers, I've just I have like a standing bounty. I'm trying to be the Boba oh, Fett. Okay. okay. Just bring it to me in Carbonite, and I will. I will but I, I don't know. No one knows where it is. If you guys ever hear anything, please let me know. Absolutely. I will, for sure. I will Thanks, do that. Thanks, guys. 
Yeah. This is this is crazy, Dinesh, but I actually own the cover. It's Punisher. Money. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to kill you. I'm going to come over to San Jose in, in the lockdown. I didn't know you could do that. I live the back. It's not even off, dude. I've just kept it in I'm the back. Well, it, and then the other question, Dinesh, is uh, it, it, now, uh, have you have have you had to, with any of your purchases, you have some very nice pieces from what I've gathered, have you have you ever had to have a preemptive chat with the wife before you bought a page to explain to her how important it was that you bought the page? Oh, that's that's foolish. You know, you tell them afterwards. <laughs> that's the, that's the game. Well, no, see, I did this. I did this one thing once. Paul Levitz and uh, Bob Wayne. Paul Levitz, who ran DC, and Bob Wayne, who was head of sales, and I were at Comics Pro, and I was asking them how they get away with their collections, and they said, "Oh, you've got to do this one thing." They said, "Comics all around your house." I said, "Yeah, piles of them." She goes, "Do this next time your wife says anything. Say to her." Pick any one book, honey, any one book. Let me show you what these things are worth, how important they are. But stack the deck. Before you do this, get all your valuable <laughs> books and put them on top of the piles. You're going to have to sacrifice one. So she did that. She's like, she's like, well, what is all this stuff? I said, just pick one. She pulled out the first book. It was the first appearance of Black Panther, like a mid-grade book. I said, watch. I'm going to put it on eBay. It sold for like $2,000. She was like, oh, my God. In her mind, everything I own is $2,000. <laughs> and now I can do whatever I want. I swear to you, it's so funny you mentioned that specifically because the only time I've ever had to talk with my wife preemptively was for uh, I'm a I, I'm a massive Domino fan. I I collect Domino art like I'm like the, I'm like that guy across awesome. the world who right. So a um and much like you, you know, you you get to know other collectors and art and dealers and they they know your thing. And so uh, I guess about two three years ago. A uh, a Liefeld full page Domino splash came up, uh, awesome. like one of her first ever splashes, and so I got you know the the text, the calls, and then a dealer friend said, "Hey man, I don't know if you saw because I was at a, I was actually like a charity event with my wife at the time, and bl- bluntly I was pretty blitzed by that point." And he calls me, he says, "Hey, the page <laughs> is up, you know, this is what you've been looking for." I'm like, "All right, bet." So I asked this dealer, I say, "What do you think it's going to go for?" And he's like, "Well, he says here's the issue: the only other person on the earth that's going to care about this page like you will is Robert Kirkman." And you know, <laughs> while while all respect to what you do and you make a good living, you don't make Kirkman money. And I'm like, that's yep. for sure I don't. He said, so what you need to hope for is that Robert doesn't want the page. And I'm like, oh, but like you know, but it is what it is. So I hung up the phone and I said to my wife, hey, um, there's this page that's coming up and I'm gonna get it. And she's like, oh, you're gonna try and win it? And I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm telling you upfront <laughs> because I'm going to win it. And she's like, what do you mean? It's an auction. I'm like, right. That's why we're talking about it. Because in this particular case, I'm winning the auction regardless of what happens. She's like, oh, okay. And the reason I – you mentioned Black – I had to – the only time in my 30 years of collecting comics and art I've ever auctioned anything is I sold a handful of comics to pay for this piece. And and the big big thing I had to hand over, and it hurt – was my high grade copy of of FF fifty two of Black Panther's first appearance? Yeah, I, I which, had, is, which is which yeah. is gone up quite substantially. I, I feel you. Oh, did you get the page? In the, in the th- yes, I did. But in the three Amazing. years since I've trade used it to trade, the books doubled again in value. So I'm I'm still bitter about it. But yes, yeah. but but, uh, but you've got, well, got the page, and there's only one of that page. I've got the page. on the Black Panther fifty two. Right, just thinking about the page right now, it's got a smile on my face. So amazing <laughs> art. So. All right. Well, that's an, I know the uh, I know Vince is groaning over here because he hates when I talk about art. So I don't <laughs> hate it. No, I know, I know. Well, anyway, guys, thanks so much. And uh, again, uh, we I'm sure this won't be the the last time we we chat, Hunter. You know, we'll you keep us surprised of uh, of, of the books and uh, and we'll be happy to talk about them as appropriate. Most definitely. Let's stay in touch. Eager right to share. Yes. Yeah. Great. Thanks, right, well, guys. Have a, have a great night, gentlemen. Thanks, guys. You have too, good, guys. Have Bye. A great night. Bye. Thank Bye. you. Bye.
excite. They're a good bunch of dudes. They are. They're happy about what they do. I really dig it. You know, I mean that that's that's the kind of that's, that's the kind of excitement that you know you want to get your 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 readers amped up for um for what's coming because it's still I mean it's not like you know these things are coming out this Wednesday so we have to make sure no, that the, yeah, um, got months got another, the, the, like, the excitement and the anticipation last but yeah well um it I mean and and yeah we're not listen we've 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 read review copies in the past where you know it's like oh yeah no that that's cool that that's definitely a comic and then that's it but these <laughs> these are the, these have been really enjoyable I mean, what Wellsville looks amazing absolutely looks amazing tankers is definitely straight up Vince's alley and it looks great and 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 I wasn't lying about the way that it made me feel about the characters um and and the uh, and and any act is is a really cool idea I dig the concept and and but but hero treatment that that just had me that had me singing I, I I don't know what it was about I don't know if it was because it was short I don't know if it was if it was David's art I don't know if it was you know, Matt having this crazy idea, but I absolutely love that little thing, and and I got to get my hands on it. Well, it's fucked up, is what it is. I it mean, really is. It really he's is. Selling superhero body parts out of the back of your uh, trunk, and, then, right? and he's in the trunk, and his eyes open up, and he's like, "But I was like, oh god, yeah. killing me. I need a leg." <laughs> I thought he was invulnerable. Yeah, yeah. There's ways around that. Yeah. <laughs> but I, the the thing about the the David Lapham. Um, angle is really neat because then it goes full circle og valiant right yeah where right. Where, where lapham was one of their stars yes. uh and driving forces and now here you go with bad idea having david lapham ground floor that's a, that's the third time right because yeah, yeah. uh defiant well he was around for their version of uh, the revival of valiant too i mean not in a huge capacity right but he did a couple things for the the reworked valiant didn't he I'm pretty sure. Well, no, I'm, I'm just saying. So he was he was at the, he was he was there at the start of of Valiant for the most part with Archer. Oh, Deft, he was there yeah. at the start of Defiant with Warriors of Plasm. Yep. And and now this with with, with this one off, um, you know, yeah. And I mean, of course, he, he, he self published, but still, I mean, you know, when 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 you have a, a publisher company putting out a couple of different books and and you're there um, at at the start, it's it's. Uh, I yeah I mean I've, yeah. I've I've been a fan. It's weird because I I haven't. You no, know, obviously I'm. Stray Bullets is 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 a huge white space to me, but I mean I've I've been a fan of his since since the Valiant days. Well, it's, there's so many flavors to David Lapham. I mean, he's got the street cred from Warriors of Plasm alone to be top tier in Th- my this book. This just right? became Tommy's his favorite episode of all. Well, time. No, I'm just saying. <laughs> uh, but I mean, should you? want to investigate the David Lapham catalog, you're going to read, I mean, if you're a fan of Warrior of, Warriors of Plasm, and then you go to the OG Valiant, it's very different. And then you go to the Stray Bullets, extremely different, right? Yeah. Uh, Definitely, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, he's got, he's like a, uh, a, a shapeshifter. He's, he's, a, he's visually, he keeps it in relatively the same uh, groove, but thematically and conceptually, Lapham's all over the place. The thing that he did at Dark Horse about the the giant bugs, the, what was it, the juice squeezers? Like the guy just ekes out really great stories all the time. Facts. Yeah, yeah. You need to get close to the microphone, my friend. I said that's facts. All right, facts. there you go. 
Well, this episode uh, has been brought to you by our patrons. Who? Yeah, the patrons. They bring you these uh, these extra good goods because they're there for us on the patreon.com forward slash 11 o'clock comics. If you don't know what it's all about, please investigate because there's a lot of cool things going on. Jason, <laughs> crazy bastard that he is, is doing a video for 25 days. It's the advent yes, thing. You're insane. I'd be like... The thought of doing that, not nah, not attractive to me. Uh, but <laughs> my year's you, you, not complete until I go to go to the site and oh, videos. Right. Well, I, what, what do you? What number are you on now? Just published uh, episode fourteen before we uh, recorded. It was uh, the last two days have been questions from our patrons, and uh, yeah, but but it's fun. Like some some days are short, like little. Like I did one on Ed, stupid dad jokes. Others are, are lengthier. I, yeah, you know, one of the days was the previews video. So you know, right. I mean, but, uh, which yeah, is kind of, kind of cheating. But yeah, you're good. Um, Listen, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's 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 admirable that you would devote 25 days to anything, which is you know, I, I love you even more for it. So if you want to yeah. see Jason's Advent videos or uh, the cover of the day, or the, the book of the month. All that stuff is uh, available through the Patreon. And once again, patreon.com forward slash 11 o'clock comics. Um, uh, once again, uh, in your travels, once again, I'm going to postpone uh, my talk yeah. on something because it's going to go a little deep and long, and uh, we don't really have the time. But what did I read? Between last episode and now, I read The Man of Steel, Volume 1. And The Man of Steel, Volume 1, collects uh, The Man of Steel uh, miniseries, six issues. It contains Superman 1 to 4, Action Comics 584 to 587, Adventures of Superman 424 to 428, uh, I think Superman Annual number 1, and you get some who's who stuff. In the back from Magpie and Metallo and Lex Luthor, all that stuff. Um, I'm not going to go deep on it. If you haven't read the Burn Wolfman um, revival of Superman, a shame on you, I say. Because uh, in my estimation, they are, without a doubt, hands down, some of the greatest comics ever created. And it's not the, you know, the rose-colored glasses, because I am rereading them. And, and it's not certain place and time they are very very good comics any era they will rise to the top i'm sure of it but i mean i was there when it happened dap was there and and we read them as they were coming out they are the soul food for me they just make me happy they're like the the hallmark christmas movie of comics they they're just a right take the right seasoning the right emotional content they just make me happy what more can i say um you got burn inked by giordano you got burn inked by terry austin you got jurgens at almost the peak of his prowess he i mean he's wonderful but he's uh, as good as he is he just keeps getting better and better and better as adventures goes on i i love these comics right Dap? I singing my song, man. Preach to the choir, whatever you want to say. It it is, um, it is without a doubt something that still makes me smile. I mean, the listeners can't see this, but right to my right, 
on my closet door, there is the retailer's promo poster that says DC Comics on sale here, and it's Burns Superman smashing through the wall. Um, I buy these issues whenever we see them at a con. Yep. You were with me at Heroes when I bought like the first 10 or so issues of, 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 of the Burn Post Man of Steel series. Um, I, It's just... It makes me... It really does make me happy, and and you know I've I've seen, you know, arguments for and against the the run the reboot. Uh, it it's it's against um, who? It's it's weird. I'll 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 share with you later. On I'll I'll bring it up on the Slack because it was I don't think it's a new post. It has to do with um, I think it was timed with the seventy fifth anniversary. But it it was weird. I mean I, I understand Homeboy's point, but he was he was kind of just living in he he was he was enamored. He seemed to just love that silver age version nah, I, I, I'm not and, reading that shit so it. No. Uh, but no it's it's listen I'm, this book better be I, I it, it should be according to to the packing list but I expect this book to be um, coming my way uh, first week in January so I can uh, that, that'll be the first thing I read when I open the box um, it doesn't matter it, it's one of those things where it's in all the years I've reread the issues. Like there's some books I'll reread just for the hell of it. Or if I'm going through my collection or if I'm straightening up and then I find an issue of something and then I just stop and I read it, I could find myself maybe skimming or, or not really paying so much attention. Cause I, I get the gist. I've read it before. I know what it is, but, but the burn, the, the, the Superman in general, this, this run, this era, um, I don't, I don't give it the, uh, the short shrift I'm, I'm in it for the no, uh, you, you really can't because it, it, it's awesome there's there is one thing though that i noticed this time around that i didn't notice originally mm-hmm. okay in the man of steel miniseries you got clark in the beginning using his abilities to yep. to to uh get him ahead in life he was a job yeah. yeah well mostly with the football team right they're like oh right. yeah and you know his his buddies are um uh, on the football team is his 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 uh you know uh, the team resents him because he does everything himself they don't yeah. know that he's from an alien That's planet right. right and and he's powered by the yellow sun but so there's one part where I mean, is he really but yeah well no he, he they 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 pa can't takes him to the field and he's like lift up the door boy and he lifts up the thing and he shows him the rocket the yep. that that he came to earth uh, in and clark's like oh he did, I'm paraphrasing. You mean the jumping and the flying and the invulnerability? I'm adopted? And it's like, okay, so you're not the smartest <laughs> He's not. Kryptonian He's not. in the drawer? It's, it's, um, <laughs> it's seriously. And, and Pa's like, you dumb PC. fuck. How could you not be <laughs> adopted? Yeah. Can anyone around you do the things that you do? No. You're not from uh, around here, boy. Like, it, it, it just, it, it didn't... Initially, it was not a very good light in which to 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 view Clark because kind of oh. kind of stupid, right? Yeah. But but you know, they, I mean, Byrne quickly um, makes good on that little. I think I I find it a little gaff, right? It's just a teeny. Uh, yeah, I mean, you would automatically know if you got trampled by a bull and you survived. Maybe you're made of different stuff than everybody else around you. I don't know. Yeah. Just saying. It just looked- yeah, and, and and what was great, uh, the, the gaff aside, I mean, it, later on, in 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 the next couple of issues of of Man of Steel, it may have been even in the second issue, but when when um, 
when Lois shows up to Clark's apartment so they can go to to the yacht to the party. Yeah. Two things. I remember I remember it vividly. I, re- I remember Burns art, but I remember Lois sitting there on the on in her dress at the bench. Yeah, wait. And she starts lifting the dumbbells and she's like, "Really you 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 get your body with these like, you know, <laughs> yeah. 5 pound rinky dinks and 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 Clark's just like it never dawned on him that he should maybe get weights that might yeah. actually represent yeah. the kind of body type he has. But then he then goes and he shaves and burn thinking ahead more or less. Clark uses a piece from the rocket ship to reflect right. his heat vision right. off so he can shave. And it's one of those things where it's like, you know, it, it just burn really for all his faults, at least with Superman here, he really did seem to think things through. Right. And, he, and, and the way that sense. Ma said that, Oh, it seems like the fabric that's close to his skin doesn't get ripped up, but the cape yep. kind of gets a little tattered because right. it's not in contact with him. And the thing where Clark's, where, where uh, I'll call him Superman because at this point he is, uh, when he's lifting something, the, the yacht, and he's like, huh, stuff seems lighter when I'm flying. Then when I'm just standing still, like Byrne thought about that stuff, that yeah, the yeah. process of Superman actually flying reduces the weight he carries. And it's like, wow, that's insane. But um, Lex is a fucking creep from day one. Oh, big time. He's just yeah. trying to get his fingers all smelly from, from uh, Lois. That's it. Sure. He, that's yeah. all he wants. He just wants Lex Lois. Like yeah, it's <laughs> it's it's yeah, well. Anyway, long story short, uh, it's a nice hardcover volume, first in a hopefully long, long, long series from DC. You got your like I said, Superman action is the team up book. Yep. Um, and how smart of it was Burn to introduce the new gods and Darkseid really quickly because he's beholden to Kirby and everything he does. Absolutely right, and no Kirby better. Didn't have a hand in it. He's got, no, which is again, which is why he left Alpha Flight because that wasn't a Stan and Jack creation. He right. left Alpha Flight and swapped so he could do Hulk. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, Man of Steel Volume One. It's a fifty dollars price tag, but you can get it far cheaper than that. Uh, Instack Trades has it. Yep. Just, just get it. It's wonderful. the second volume has been solicited. That should yeah. be out soonish. But, uh, but yeah. So we've got two so far. I would expect maybe the third to come out in the. Um, in in the January or February connect. Yeah, but, I hope uh, they never stop. I hope they sell well enough um, where they just continue into the whole run. I'm just concerned about what I will have to knock off of of my order to make sure that I could fit on 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 subsequent volumes. But yeah, no, that that's something that I will happily make room on the shelves for. Yeah, um, I'll yeah. I'll uh, I'll sell blood in order to make sure I keep getting it. Um, well, I'll just I mean yeah, I could just say. Uh, I ditto, but I'll just I'll keep the um, Superman going. Uh, the penultimate issue of um, Bendis Ramita Jr. and Jensen's Action Comics run, um, House of Kent, Chapter Six, kind of concludes that, um, where uh, Red Cloud and um, uh, um. Leon and uh, everybody from the Invisible Mafia. That that story concludes uh, in this issue. There's um, I, when um, Red Cloud Robinson Good when she gets uh, when when she gets captured, uh, put into custody, she receives a letter from. 
from Leon and uh, which which kind of um, doesn't put Robinson in in uh, in a very good place. But um, you know between John and Brainiac um, coming back to coming to to, to John's past and uh, teaming up with the uh, with the rest of the L's and Connor, it was. It, it it was the conclusion worked for me with this, but then they end the issue with a huge cliffhanger because now that Leon is, has left, I mean, she, she's not just left. She, she was in the daily planet when the FBI came and questions were being asked. Not only did she leave the daily planet, not only did she leave metropolis, not only did she leave the country. She pretty much left this planet because there's, there's, um, could he, had he kept going, he probably would have gone into greater detail with it. But as it is right now, things are kind of things are going to be left hanging, I guess. Uh, but there was more to Leon than uh, than what we just gathered in in her appearances in, in Action Comics. But the 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 issue ends um, with a new owner of the Daily Planet, and um, and and basically. There's a nice little nod to um, the recent Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen series that uh, by um, by Fraction and and Libra. But um, yeah, I mean, 20, 1028 will be out soon, as will Superman twenty. I think Superman twenty eight comes out this week, tomorrow. Um, action should be soon, and um, and 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 that will be it. I'll, I'll have another complete run of a uh, of a DC series, but. Um, but yeah, so so that's uh, all of these will be collected very soon, I'm sure. So anybody who has um, been interested in the run, uh, you'll be able to to get it all complete in, uh, in 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 a handful of trades or hardcovers very soon. But yeah, in your travels, Action Comics wrapping up by uh, by Bendis and Company. Respect it, respect it, you Superman loving motherfuckers. That's true, dude. Um. Well, in your travels, I, uh, for those that are participating in our Facebook group, you already saw me talk about this book because um, it was my best thing I read last week. But uh, for those of you that don't know uh, Yuval Noah Harari, shame on you, first of all, but uh, he is um, a incredibly insightful and wildly entertaining uh, and great writer. Um, he's a historian who has written uh, a number of, of bestsellers. Um, his first and, and biggest selling book was Sapiens, which came out about a, a decade ago. Um, and it's his view on the history of, of our species. And it's, uh, it's, it's factual and, and, and thought provoking, but it's also funny. And uh, it, it's a lot of big ideas. It basically things like the idea that, um, that the reason that our species is dominant is because we're of our imagination. We're the only animal species that believes in fake ideas in, in concepts um, that, uh, you know, things like money is, is essentially the, the greatest con ever. It's just, it exists because we all agree collectively that it is, is some worth, worth is worth something. Things like that. Um, very well renowned book. He is now pretty much a tours all around the world talking about his views. He's written two other books uh, Homo Deus and uh, um, and uh, uh, 21 Questions for the 21st Century. 
But the reason I'm saying you all should, in your travels, check it out is that he just recently put out a graphic novel of Sapiens. Uh, Sapiens, A Graphic History, uh, which was, he was the writer. It was co-created by David Vanderbulen and Daniel Casanave, who are comic artists. And I did not know that there was a graphic novel coming of this until uh, someone that knew I loved the, the book a long time ago pointed it out to me. And I ordered it immediately, uh, and it was fantastic. It is thick. It's it's equal parts graphic novel, but it, and, and also, like, it could be a perfect book to give uh, a college student who wants to understand our species or a sociology major or something like that. It's But it's it's... The book is done in a way where it's basically Yuval um, as a narrator within these visual constructs of of human history. Uh, it's very clever. Uh, the art is 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 uh, just the right amount of cartoony, but hyper detailed where it needs to be when it comes to like you know key historical events. And I just thought it was delightful in every way. It's something that that ten year olds, twenty year olds, thirty year olds, and ninety year olds should be reading. So can't recommend it enough. Definitely one of those books that you could give to someone who's quote unquote not a comic reader, and I think they would enjoy it as well. So, uh, if anyone out there is a Harari fan and you don't know this exists yet, now you do, and you need to check it out. So, Sapiens: A Graphic History sounds great. Yeah, look at you. Oh, I love Yuval Harari, and and I don't know um, for people that uh, you should if you only have time to listen to one co- podcast, it should be ours. But if you have time for others, um, Bill Gates and Rashida Jones recently started a podcast. Um, where it's called it's called Bill and Rashida ask the big questions, and when you're Bill Gates, needless to say, you can ask questions and get very very thoughtful experts to answer those questions for you. And they've put out I think five episodes so far. Short. It's unlike our show. It's a short podcast, generally about a half hour. They ask the question. They each kind of share their views, and then they have an expert on. Uh, and one of the one of the episodes that came out already was why do we believe in lies. And so they had none other than Yuval Harari on to talk about why we as a species tend to love believing in lies. And uh, it's, I got to uh, listen to that because I've oh, always great. wondered that myself. Why do we latch on to these fallacies that uh, somewhere in the back of our uh, reptilian brains we know isn't true, aren't true, but yet we can't let them go? Uh, well, you should read this book either in its prose or graphic form, and you should listen to the podcast. I will. The do podcast it. will be a much shorter version of all of this, but yeah. So, cool. Yep. All right, everybody. Hey, we really hope you enjoyed this episode. Big, big uh, kudos to the the Bad Idea Crew. Uh, thank you guys for being here and, and, and informing and enlightening us on the the business model and what's coming our way. And people, please get in on the ground floor of the Bad Idea stuff. Uh, uh, I wrote it on the show notes for this episode, but I'm going to tell you right now, out of respect for the efforts of the Bad Idea crew, there will be no episode uh, gallery for this uh, uh, this episode. There will be no gallery <laughs> for this episode. What I want you to do is I want you to go directly to their site, and you can find the link to their site in the show notes for this episode on 11oclockcomics.com or just Google Bad Idea Comics. You'll find it uh, because they have everything there and you can see stuff. Go do it. Um, if you want more of the 11 o'clock thing, uh, Instagram, Reddit, Twitter, Facebook, all that shit, we're there. Uh, in the meantime, say goodnight. Empty wine bottles gonna make some noise. <laughs> <sighs> Yeah. <sighs>
Yeah, it's not. It does, this bottle does not resonate. That's ah, no fun. Whatever. David. Good night. Here's the part where David cheats, Duda. Duda. Here's the part where David <laughs> cheats, looking at his watch. I'm not. Okay. David. Nice. <laughs> All right. Go be happy and healthy and safe and, and go do good, fun things. Get out of here. Talk to you later this week. Right. You get two of them this week. Again, you spoiled bastard. Not exactly two and two, but it's close. Right. That's it for that one. <laughs>